it's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix Freddy Krueger, Buffalo Bill, and a killer machine? Why, you get The Mangler. everybody and welcome to the episode of the terrible terror podcast we are here almost done with the season can you believe there's only two episodes left holy shit there's this one and then the next one and then oh my god we're gonna be uh starting season six jesus christ i've been doing this for a fucking long time but nonetheless we're here we're out here and we are talking about the mangler now, this is a movie that I don't actually have a whole lot of experience with. Um, it's something that I remember seeing when I was younger and, like, especially at watching it, I, part of me was like, wait, did I really see this before? And then I would remember little scenes back and forth. Um, I, I remember it being a big deal because, or at least it was trying to be a big deal because, you know, Robert England is in this. And, uh, you know, it's a Stephen King story, and it's Toby Hooper. Woo! This is going to be great. And then it turned out to be the way that it turned out to be. I mean, it's kind of up to you. You know, some people are going to really love this movie. I know the angry dad, he went out and said that this is a movie that he used to rent all the time when he was younger. Uh, so this is a movie probably that he really, really enjoys, and I hope I don't crap over it too much. But it's still... You know, it probably has its place in time, and I'm not sure where that place in time is, but it's something that I know there are probably a lot of people that really enjoy this film, and, you know, I'll talk a little bit more. So I really don't have a whole lot of, like, hey, this is my experience with The Mangler, and here's everything that goes, and hey, you know, all the fun stuff. Now, what I can say is this is weird because usually it has, when I look up like box office information, there's usually a little bit about, this is how much it cost. It doesn't tell me how much it cost, but it made $1.8 million domestic, uh, at least from where I'm looking at it on the uh, Wikipedia page for it. So it is based off of a 1972 Stephen King short of the same main name, and it reminds me a lot of Graveyard Shift. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. The difference between that and this is a giant, basically, rat, <laughs> not to spoil Graveyard Shift, a film from, like, I don't know, like, 80-something? Uh, I can't remember where that was. Uh, but, nonetheless, it's kind of the same thing. Giant machine, except for that one is a cotton machine, and this one's a laundry machine? Okay, like... This movie really does remind me of that stupid Family Guy joke that's out there where it's like, oh, you know, here's Stephen King and he's just throwing stuff. He's like, oh, the 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 haunted, uh, you know, uh, lamp. It's a lamp. Woo! Here's the lamp. You know, 
this must have been a hell of a cocaine binge, man. Like to sit there and be thinking about what type of movie, what what do I need to do? Well, you know, I need to make something scary. I've already done a little girl that starts fires. I've already done, well, maybe we haven't done Christine because I can't remember year that that came out, you know, uh, off the top of my head at least. Um, you know, <laughs> there, there's a the clown story that I'm working on. Can't do that just yet, but I just need something really quick. I know, killer fucking laundry machine. And it's like, okay, I guess we can go with it. How is it a killer laundry machine? Well, get this. Um, um, what, what the fuck? How am I going to get this? I'm going to get the money for this thing. Oh, demons. Demons. It's haunted by a demon, right? And it can transfer itself. So there's going to be more than one just demon in this story. Oh, okay. I guess here, you know, if you're going to combine it, it's going to be a short story and you're going to put a bunch of other ones. Go ahead. Here's the money. Write your book. And then he goes and writes his book. And then, you know, they're thinking about pitching movies to people. And it's like, hey, you know, Stephen King is super fucking hot right now. This is what we need, you know. We need a new Stephen King movie. I mean, Misery did fucking gangbusters. And the It miniseries back in 1990, man, nobody could get enough of that. In fact, we've done a couple other ones, and they still are really popular, even though they're kind of shitty. With only The Stand being the one that maybe is the best out of the miniseries, to be honest. I really like that one way more than I liked It. I'm sorry if I'm upsetting anybody out there, but... That's just the way I feel. I mean, the Langoliers are fucking stupid with their little fucking time ball things. And the Tommyknockers don't even be fucking start on that stupid fucking miniseries. But nonetheless, we need more Stephen King movies. But we've kind of done everything that's cool, right? So what do we do? Well, you know, there was this set of short stories they wrote back in 1972. Okay, well... Can we turn one of those into a full-length feature film? Um, I don't... Yeah, uh, yeah, I've, I've got one here. It's about a, a, a haunted, uh, a haunted washing machine? It's a, it's a what? It's a laundry machine, actually. It's this giant fucking thing. It's got all these, like, gears and shit on it, and, and, and it, it's gonna eat people. You're saying it's a short story, so... Well, I think it took him, you know, like... Two and a half hours to write, so that should give us at least an hour and 44 minutes of a fucking movie, right? Uh, I guess, look, look, I'm telling you, it actually took me about three hours to read. Really? It was that short? No, it wasn't, well, it was actually shorter than that, but the problem is, is that I had to put it down like seven times because it just didn't fucking make any sense, but I think we can totally do it. We can totally turn this thing into a whole fucking franchise, man. Imagine it. The Mangler. And then there's the Mangler 2. Man, we could probably get up to fucking Mangler 7. We just... It's like Mangler Generations, okay? You've heard about Hellraiser Bloodlines where they went through and you saw the puzzle bags from all these different points in the future? Just imagine. The Mangler. Like, generations. And we see how it started as a fucking washboard back in the day. And then it just... It graduated slowly but surely. It was one of those, like, churn machines. And then it became, like, a regular washing machine that you see. And then it became an industrial, like, clothes dryer. One that's fucking huge and people, like, get stuck inside of it and, like, burn to fucking death. Can you imagine where we can go with this fucking thing? Wait, you talked about a movie that hasn't even been made yet. 
Hellraiser Bloodlines? What the fuck is that? Oh, that's just a film that I'm working on. It, it's going to be released next year. Don't worry about it. I'll make sure that doesn't influence the way that we do it. Okay, so let's say that we do this. Let's say that we do this fucking film, right? That we go and we do this giant fucking wash machine and it becomes really fucking popular and we can make sequels off of this thing. Then what? Like, who do we get to direct this thing? Well, remember, we need to get somebody. It's kind of, you know... I know it's not the best story in the world, okay? I know it's like a cocaine dreamland that somebody had. But just imagine if we got the director of Poltergeist to come in and do another haunted something movie. You you want to get Toby Hooper to do this? Oh, was was he the one? I was kind of hoping that Spielberg was available to direct this. But nonetheless, yes. We could get Toby Hooper. I, I'm pretty sure that he owes us a favor, if you know what I mean. So, there's the story of how this movie got put together. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not true. Um, at least some of it. Maybe the Toby Hooper thing was true. I don't know. But really, they did have high hopes, right? They really tried to do something big. Not just get Toby Hooper, but you got to get somebody that's famous, at least in the horror world, to give this movie some cred. And that's where they went with Robert England, right? So, hey, we got Robert England, we got Toby Hooper, and we got a Stephen King story. Automatically, you would think that that might be fucking dynamite. But then we got The Mangler. So... Sit back, relax, and let's just go ahead and start diving into the film. So the beginning of the film starts with the foreman of the whole place standing out there and yelling at everybody to get to work. And we get a nice shot of what the Mangler actually looked like. Right, and it's kind of weird because there really is no theme song to the movie in the beginning. I was really trying to figure out how am I going to pull this because it's basically people fucking yelling across the floor. And I'm like, huh, that isn't really that interesting. Uh, but so I ended up just kind of grabbing some other music that was out there, like a different rendition of the end theme. And that's what you hear at the beginning. So a little bit of insideness to this film. Well, or at least to this podcast, I should say. But... You know, it's just really weird because, like, you have the guy, he's yelling at everybody, and then it's the mangler shows up on the screen. And the text is really, like, it belongs in, like, the late 50s, early 60s. It's so weird. Like, I was expecting this to be, like, Willy Wonka in the fucking chocolate factory here. Like, I'm expecting some guy to roll down the fucking stairs, take a bunch of kids, throw one fat German kid into this machine, and out the other end is going to fucking pop up chocolate. I mean, it doesn't really look... It almost looks 80s. And this is 95. Maybe I was just fucking blind to the 90s, right? Like, hey, title cards looked way worse than I thought they did. Well, there is one thing about 95 that stayed true in this, and we'll talk about it when the time comes. But nonetheless, we have the whole... Like, we get a whole shot of the Mangler, which is relatively cool. We see it fold the laundry at the end, and then we get to see the different parts of it. But honestly, it's not the coolest thing in the world. And it looks like it's just a giant fucking dryer. Like, all it does is it wrings out the clothes, and then at the other end, it folds it and presses it and steams it. And then it gets it ready for whomever it's going to next. It's just kind of... Eh. 
you know? And there is, like, a giant flaw that maybe I'll talk about when we get to the end if one of those things that I fucking remember even brought up after going through this episode. But, eh, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's really with how does this thing make fucking money for, you know, our main antagonist. So the first person that we're going to meet uh, as we finish up looking at the Mangler, we're actually going to meet two characters. We're going to meet Sherry, and we're going to meet uh, Sue, I believe. Good morning, Mrs. Raleigh. Morning, dear. You're looking good today, Sherry. <laughs> Hi. Morning. Morning. You want to watch yourself, dear? Let me help you with that. You take care of number one. Don't let the pressure get to you. What do you think about the new girl? Lynn Sue? Eh, she's okay. If you're not careful, you'll end up like me. I'll keep that in mind. Don't know where the boss found her. I wish she'd go back to whatever sewer she called out. Okay, already they're starting to be really fucking catty with Lynn Sue. I don't know why I just thought it was Sue, but it's kind of an odd name for this character. I don't know. Maybe it just feels really odd to me. I'm just, you know kind of looking at her, and she doesn't really look like a Lin Sue to me. I would expect a Lin Sue, and maybe this is stereotypical of me, to be, you know, kind of Asian-ish, maybe? But is that because they're doing laundry? I mean, again, the whole place is just women doing all the fucking laundry in this place, and the men fucking directing them anyway, so I guess the stereotypes really come from what I'm seeing on the screen, but nonetheless... It's just funny to hear them already, like, talking about her. Where'd that fucking sewer trash come from? Oh, that bitch, look at her nails. They're all mispainted and chipping on them. She must be a fucking whore. I mean, they didn't go that fucking far, but I'm pretty sure that that anyone was there. And then with the old lady that's there, and she's chomping down on her acids that she's got, which, in the beginning, I thought they were just pills. Like, they don't really, they kind of do, but don't really make any type of direct saying that those are antacids, right? Even towards the end when somebody takes them, it's like, I don't normally take drugs, but do you consider an antacid a drug? I guess it kind of is, but nonetheless, it's just really weird that it's kind of like just there, and she keeps popping them like they're fucking, like, just pieces of candy. Like, here, here we go, I'm just gonna start eating my fucking Skittles on the job. I bet you those are fucking meth pills, is what they really are. There's no way that old lady could be just fucking popping antacids all day on the fucking job. Like, maybe it's just good old THC pills that she's really taking, too. She just needs to fucking be mellow, because she has to fucking stare at fucking Robert England's character all fucking day with his fucked up legs and his fucked up face and his fucked up voice that he... Okay, I don't really want to get too much into him right now, but... He sure knows how to hire the right people because basically you got Sherry and her friend. They're going over there and they're starting to load the next piece of laundry into the machine. And her friend suggests, hey, why don't you turn up the heat? You know, turn that crank over there. Make sure you crank that. Okay, we're not going to get into a song here. But nonetheless, crank it so that we can do more and so we can get done faster. Which, great fucking idea. So Sherry goes over and she goes to crank it. And when she cranks it... She cranks it, like, almost too hard to the point that she cuts her hand on the fucking thing. And honestly, it's pretty obvious that it wasn't, like, just 
a random fucking accent or anything like that. It's like, oh my god, my hand slipped and it cut this giant fucking gash in my hand where blood is just every fucking where. Like, she goes to wipe her hand off after she's done that and she just throws what seems like a pint of fucking blood directly onto the mangler and onto the sheets like it was fucking nothing. Like, come on, those are white fucking sheets. That's gonna be your first thought is, hey, I've cut my hand and I'm just gonna fucking throw the blood into the machine that's cleaning or drying the fucking sheets because that's not gonna have any problems. I'm pretty sure that the people that, you know, ordered those sheets from this company, they really want blood-soaked fucking sheets, but instead what they're getting is, well, blood-soaked fucking sheets. I guess that's exactly what they're getting, what they didn't want. Okay, so I didn't really fucking think that through that well, but nonetheless... So she does that, and there's some guys that are moving an icebox around, and then she backs up and backs into them, to be honest with you. It doesn't seem like they're moving, they're being a little clumsy, they can't really see because the thing is so fucking big, but she's the one that cut herself on this fucking machine. She's the one that threw her blood into the fucking machine, and then she's the one that backs into them so the icebox almost falls on top of her. It doesn't make any sense to me that they start blaming these people when... It was basically her fucking fault. Of course, you know, it does go down. It does hit the pull bar, which is supposedly a safety thing that we'll fucking talk about in a little bit. Fucking piece of shit. And and so causes a bunch of sparks to fly. And that's where we finally get to meet Bill Gartley for the very first time. And one of the best voices in all of horror movie history comes through Mr. England. God damn, sons of bitches! These two idiots almost killed Cherry! Damn it! Jeez, I'm sorry, you okay? Moron, you could have killed her! It's nothing, I'm okay. Cherry! Oh, God. You may need stitches. No, I'm okay now. Mr. Garley, sir? Do something. Get him back to work. Work him like there's no tomorrow. You boys with that piece of shit icebox, get it out of here! Move! Deliver on time and you'll lose our business! Move it! Santa, time's a-wasting! Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick. (laughs) It's all right, George. You know, life's a bitch, then you die. Get him back to work. Yes, sir. We're behind schedule as it is, goddammit. Yes, sir. I got deadlines, George. Never enough time around here. Never. Time is you heard the man. Let's go. Move it. Don't look at me. You, get back to work. Come on, get back to work. Get back to work. Now, I swear to God that a majority of the lines that are spoken by Robert England in this fucking movie are fucking ADR. Like, it does not match the way that he's fucking talking out there on the floor, right? When he's there, every once in a while, it kind of does. But he always has his mouth off to the side like he's fucking Popeye. And you can fucking understand him perfectly fucking fine. Get the fuck out of here. You gotta get this shit going. Oh, life's a bitch and then you die. (laughs) It's just so fucking terrible. Like... 
honestly, I had such high hopes. And and again, I haven't seen this in such a long time that I was like, well, you know, a lot of people say it's crap and maybe I remember it totally differently. And then I'm going through it and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, man. This is the overacting fucking Olympics is what it is. And if he had the ADR's lines afterwards, that's even fucking worse that he was even worse than he was. I bet you while he was on set, they were like, he was doing this. Ah, see, I got this over here and I down this thing. And they're like, what the fuck are you saying? And he's like, well, we'll get it in post. That's the way that we'll do it. This is the voice that I'm making. But you see, I have to do it from the side of my mouth rather than the front of it. So you can't understand it. Like I'm trying to be the colonel, but I don't have any fucking chicken. Like, it's just... It's so weird. That's that's my issue with it. It's just a weird fucking way to do the role. And I get it. And I understand the way especially the role ends up and the character ends up. You know, there's something to say about it. And the way that he performs it that I, I'm kind of okay with as the movie moves along. And he does have some decent scenes in it too. But the introduction to him is just like he's coming out with his fucking like crutches and he's talking like that and he's got a stogie still in his fucking mouth and it's just like, dude, what the fuck? And then we see the other guys, they load up the truck and, and okay, I was going to skip this for a second, but it's fucking ridiculous. The fucking gash on the hand of fucking Sherry as they're trying to like mop it up. It's just fucking constantly pouring blood out of that fucking wound. And when they say, you might need stitches, she's like, no, I don't need stitches. Like, are you worried because your dad or your, uh, guess, guardian, as we later find out, um, you know, he has to do it. Like, he doesn't want to deal with your bullshit. Is that the reason why? Like, you think you're a burden on him because he really just cares about the money and the workers and he's constantly making these people just work, 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 work? Like, is that the reason why? Or is it the reason because you're child fucking labor working in this place? Like, we don't know right now, but later on we find out that she's 15. I'm sorry I'm spoiling this so early, but we're going to get to the point of her turning 16. And so she's working for her, like, uncle... Her guardian here, and she's only 15 years old. Well, maybe she has a fucking work permit, and she can just work there, and he's paying her relatively well. Or the town just needs people to do fucking laundry, because it seems that's all this town is fucking good for, is this fucking machine and doing all the laundry, except for the idiots that are trying to deliver shit. And that's where we fade to the outside, and we see that this story takes place, where the fuck else does it in a Stephen King world, but fucking Maine. You know, one of these days, I'd like to see one of these stories that's, like, based in fucking South Dakota. You know, there's got to be weird fucking shit that happens down there. There's got to be fucking Wendigos and whatever else is going on. But no, everything weird happens in Maine because, again, sometimes it really feels like Stephen King is just looking around the room and he can't pick the state that he wants this fucking story to happen in. And it's just, oh... Guess what? It's Maine. It's like me looking around this room right now and trying to make a joke and then looking over and saying, oh, um, Elvis. What? Yeah. Elvis. You know? And Godzilla. Elvis and Godzilla walked into a bar and they saw the Clorox wipes and they said, hey, I heard you pick up stains. And the Clorox wipes were like, Elvis. See? It doesn't really fucking work for me. I, I just don't get it. But... <laughs> It's, you know, they're in some little fucking village inside Maine, and that's where we meet the, you know, <laughs> our hero of the film, Johnny, 
right? And he's getting ready for his day. You have these bumbling delivery drivers that take a corner too fast and almost fucking run into him. And then he's got to go out and fucking start yelling at them right away. Hey! Idiot! What was that? Hey, what was that? Hey, idiot, I'm talking to you. Hey, hey, hey! No, I'm talking to the other idiot. What was that? What, can't you drive? Move the truck. Oh, so we're just delivering an icebox. I don't give a fuck if you're delivering a pizza to the Pope. Move the fucking truck. You looking for trouble, asshole? That's officer asshole to you. Move the truck, then we'll talk, okay? Okay. Okay, so did he or did he not start with a fucking British accent? Hello! What you mean, move the truck? And then he's like, oh, you want to start something, asshole? And it's like... Wait, why did your accent change so drastically there? And then, I had to think about this for a bit, but that guy is awfully fucking familiar, too. The guy that plays Johnny. There's something about him that I can't quite put my finger on at this point in the film. Um, well, we'll have to come back to him a little later and figure out what's going on. But from here, we go back over to the factory, and that's where we get... Probably the first kind of gruesome death of the movie where we see the old lady and like the girls are talking and they're asking whether or not Sherry's okay and there's still some type of like beef between Lin Su and her, right? And then the old lady, she's there at the front of the machine looking around and she tries to get some of her antacids and she accidentally drops them into the machine. And she's trying to grab him when the safety bar is down. And honestly, everything that leads up to this moment in the film is like... (laughs) The machine is trying to entice her, but she's not, like, getting the hint. It's like, come on, closer. Yeah, you can come in. Don't worry, I won't crush you. Everything be cool. There's lollipops and cats that you can play with inside here. There are tons of cats, and they're all named Charlie, and they all love you. They just want kitten cuddles. Come on in. And she's like, huh? Kitten cuddles? What's that? I only like fucking dogs, you piece of shit. And the laundry machine is just like, fuck, how else do we get her? Oh, let's bump her a little bit so that she drops some of her antacids into my fucking things. And they float right on the top, right there by the little safety bar that's there. Oh no, my pills! Yes, I've got your pills, but don't worry. I haven't started eating them yet. Just come, grab them. See what fucking happens to you. Don't worry, I've got puppies now, and they won't be going anywhere until you grab those pills. Okay, I'll go ahead and grab those pills. And then this happens to her.
God damn it. God damn it. God damn it. Okay, well, I was going to say the same fucking thing, but Gartley said it for me. <laughs> Dumbass bitch. <laughs> she fell in the thing. Oh, no, maybe I wasn't really going to say that, but it still is relatively funny. Like, the whole setup is just so fucking lame, but the outcome is kind of groovy, kind of cool. I don't know. You can see what happens when we talk about her a little later on, because we're going to get to that point. So, she's been eaten by the machine. The foreman, George, he's totally distraught. Of course, Sherry's upset because she was trying to pull her out the entire time, and she just didn't have the strength to save her, basically. And then, you know, Gartley over here, he's just like, well, you fuck things up. What the fuck did she fuck up? Like, you stopped the day, like, always fucking with you? Is this because, like, there was a little bit of a hint that was going on? Like, she used to be the bad bitch of the place, and she's telling the new girl, don't end up like me, or you're gonna be fed to the fucking machine. Like, is that what she's fucking saying? Who the fuck knows? But she's now fucking dead, and we cut back over to Johnny Boy over there, and he's getting the call that there's been a death at the laundromat, well, laundry place. He's wanting to call it a fucking laundromat, but it's not. It's a laundering, like, site. I don't even know if these places really fucking exist. I'm pretty sure that they do. I'm pretty sure there's a giant fucking organization that takes, like, industrial laundering, and all they do is they wash and fucking dry things for big places like hospitals and shit like that. But in this world, I really don't know who they fucking serve, because they never really say that they do, even though they're busy trying to drop off this fucking icebox for somebody, but I don't... You don't ever really know who it is. So when they cut over and we're now seeing... First, we're seeing the detective. And he's basically writing a ticket for all the things that these people did. And in fact, they even drop the icebox on top of him as they're trying to unload it out of the truck. As he's trying to give him the first ticket. But he ends up giving him one for speeding, for being dicks, and breaking his fucking watch. Which I'm pretty sure that the second and the third ones he can't really do. But the first one, hey, you know what? They're being fucking dicks. So... Actually, they were speeding, but they are being fucking dicks at the same time. So as he finishes writing up the ticket, that's when he gets the call about the laundry place and the death that's just occurred. Reckless driving, illegal parking, blocking of a public street. What do you want? Give me a break. What do you want? Insulting an officer? As for being an arrogant, ignorant son of a bitch. Since when is that a crime? Wealthy boss. Ah, oh, you broke my damn watch. Oh, cool down. Officer Hunton, come in. Damn it, you're a moron. Oh. Officer Hunton, come in. Officer Hunton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Molly, what do you got? Morning, Johnny. How's your day so far? Oh, my day's peachy, Molly. What's up? We've got a death at the Blue Ribbon Laundry. It's a bad one. Sheriff Hughes got called away to an urgent meeting. What's going on? I'm alone. How many did you take this time? All right, Molly, I'm on the way. Thanks a lot. Okay, so wait. We see him... Again, this guy is really... 
There is something that I've seen him in and I can't fucking remember. And it fucking is driving me fucking crazy at this point in the movie. But I'll figure that out before I have to go on fucking IMDb and see exactly who this guy is. But nonetheless, if I find it funny at the end of that clip that she's like, how did you take this time? Because she knows that he's just, he's also popping fucking antacids. Except for he's not using the giant bottle that's labeled antacids. He's got like a roll of Rolaids or something like that. And I always remember as a kid, I wanted to buy those so bad because I thought they were candy. And I'm like... Why won't my mom buy me a fucking roll of Rolaids? Why does she have to be a bitch like this? Man, I just want fucking Rolaids. Look, they're all fruity fucking colors, man. I can get tropical, or I can get just that strawberry pack, or I can get that one that just looks like fucking chalk. I bet you that's fucking winter mint. Wait, I hate fucking winter mint. Fuck that flavor. That is the worst fucking flavor of mint that you can get. It's fucking spearmint, peppermint, or no fucking mint. You hear me? Get that fucking winter shit out of here. Maybe it's only good during winter, but even then it fucking sucks. But nonetheless, uh, he just, like, he's popping them and she just goes and she's like, yeah, you know, you need to stop basically, how many did you pop this time? And then, you know, the whole thing with them writing up the ticket, it's just, it's kind of a silly scene, especially since the rest of it's played relatively straight. It's kind of interesting that this is the only time in the film that we really get any type of comic relief. I mean, because the rest of the movie is kind of played pretty straight. And we've already started with, unless you, of course, count Robert England in the way that he does his character, but nonetheless, it's still kind of in that realm of, you know, we're going to take everything serious as it moves along. So from here he goes and he travels to the laundry place. Um, and he when he gets there, he kind of looks at the mangler and sees what damage may have been done. Now, there's a lot of blood fucking everywhere and everything is turned to fucking red inside the machine, which would have led me to believe that they cleaned up the original blood really, really fucking fast. Because I'm telling you, when she like threw her hand and threw the blood into the mangler, like there was quite a bit of it and already started running some of the sheets red. So it had to gotten all over the place. So when the old lady, she got eaten through there, the blood is just fucking everywhere and everything is just so goddamn pink, it's unfucking believable and it makes me think how many times are we going to have to go through this thing and clean it to actually get all the fucking blood out. So he's looking around and then he finds the foreman of the place and that's where, you know, he basically gets introduced also to the new garbage pail kid on the block, Fresh Squeezed Mary. Hello. Mr. Gartley here. Mr. Gartley's unavailable. I'm Stanner. I'm the foreman. Mr. Stanner, I'm, uh, I'm Officer Hunton. Can you show me what happened, Mr. Stanner? Do I have to? Yeah, you have to. She, she's down there. I, I can't look at her again. It makes me sick. She's down there. I can't. I'm sorry. I can't look at it. Yeah, right. Can't look. <sighs> Run a loose shop, cut corners. What do you expect? People get hurt. But killed, right? I mean, they can't look. No, they can't look at it. Oh. Hell of a mess, huh, Johnny? You know... Me and my old camera were doing this long before you even came to this town. Never did get used to it. 
Man, make sure I get some copies of that. Like always. Have I ever let you down? Yes. Okay, there's a couple things before we start talking about what he fucking found. Because what he fucking found is fucking disgusting. Even for a movie this old, I think that it was done relatively well. And uh, especially since the way that it was like leading up to it to that specific point. But it's weird, this photographer guy, right? Because there were different times in the movie I wasn't sure if this was a figment of his imagination or if this guy was real. Turns out, spoiler alert, he's real. But really, he shows up in very weird situations, and it's almost like he's only talking directly to Johnny and not the people out there. And the people that are around him don't really acknowledge him, except for maybe Mark, but it's only by the way that he looks at the guy. Not necessarily, and because of what they end up having to do, but not necessarily because he's there. It's really weird. I don't understand why they did this and what the point, like, I, I understand the point of the whole photographer guy. And when he says, have you ever let me down? And he says, yes, there's a reason that I think that the way that he says it, but it would give away something that's way, way late in the movie. And if you've never seen this movie before and you're just kind of listening to it because you don't really feel like you want to see it, I really don't want to ruin that for you. Like, there are sometimes I like to leave surprises, kind of surprises, even though it's not a full surprise. So, yeah, we'll see what happens as we move through the rest of the podcast. So, nonetheless, he's taking pictures of the body and it's really well cut because you're only getting like when he's taking like the flashes, it's only like a couple of like small shots of the body that's there until it finally finishes the fucking scene and there's the fucking Cabbage Patch Girl that's now laid out there on the fucking conveyor belt. And it's honestly pretty fucking disgusting. I'm going to probably put a picture of it up on the Instagram account uh, because I still think that it's kind of interesting to look at. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens. I might try to make it a new Garbage Bell Kid like I already originally thought that I wanted to do. So we'll see what happens with it. But... From here, we see that he's gone outside because he has to throw up, and he's basically confronted by one of the workers. We see Sherry back there, and Sherry is kind of, like, upset because she said that she wasn't strong enough, and he's just like, I can't deal with this shit right now, and just bolts outside. One of her co-workers comes up to Johnny and basically says, yeah, I've worked here a long time, so I've seen a bunch of shit, so I understand if you're just the way that you are, and this place does something to you. And she basically tells him, you know, that she used to take these old antacids and if you want to hold on to them, they helped her when her stomach was getting like raw the way that yours is right now. And so he throws them over to him and he just starts popping those fucking antacids like it was fucking nothing. And then he feels much better. Uh, it's kind of an interesting scene. It's one of those foreshadowing scenes that we're going to kind of understand a little bit as it goes along, which is, I don't know, I feel like that part's fucking stupid too. There's a lot of fucking stupid stuff in this fucking movie. But nonetheless, so he sees that the judge and a safety inspector and the other police, the sheriff, they're all showing up to the factory, and they're going to give a extremely, and I mean extremely weak-ass reason for the 
whole thing to just fucking start up once again. If the safety features on this machine meet state and local standards, then you may resume operation. Yes, thank you, Judge Bishop. Okay, Martin, start her up. Stand clear, boys! Let's start with the safety bar. When I lift this up, the machine should stop. Put it down, it should start. What is your conclusion, Mr. Martin? Well, I'll tell you, Judge Bishop, the safety bar seems to be working fine. Then I declare that this was a case of accidental death. This inquest is closed. Wait, 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 wait. They have just one, just one safety precaution on this whole fucking big fucking machine. Like, anybody, not just from the front. Like, the only safety bar that they have is for the front of the machine, right? So that nobody can fucking Superman into the machine like that old lady did, right? And just fucking fly through it. But meanwhile, on the sides and on the top, there's nothing to fucking stop you. So if you're on a catwalk doing something, maybe you need to clean the bats out of the fucking belfry on the top of the fucking place. Because this place is that fucking dank, that fucking dark, and there's got to be a fucking Dracula in here fucking somewhere. And so he falls down and falls into it, or she falls down and falls in the machine, she's fucked too. There is no fucking safety with this thing. I mean, imagine if you had your After Hours Fight Club that got fucking ruined because Bob from fucking accounting decided to get a blowjob from a prostitute one night and say something, then she brought her friends, and one of them happened to be an undercover fucking cop and blew your whole fucking operation. You're doing your underground fight club there, and then somebody gets in it, gets fucking punched in the face and gets knocked into the side of the mangler. Boom! He's fucking stuck in the gears, and the guy's going through, and he's going to get crushed at the end. You only have one fucking failsafe is if if somebody goes through the front of the fucking machine. Then your safety, quote unquote, safety inspector here, his thing is, oh, let's see if it's safe. Huh, 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 huh. Okay, it lifts, there's the safety. You close it down, all right, it doesn't do anything anymore. What? And then the judge is like, well, looks safe to me. I'd be pissed if I was fucking Johnny too, right? Because he does. He does get super pissed because he's like, this whole fucking place is basically corrupt. And that's when he goes home for the night. He sees that they've dropped off the fucking icebox to somebody that lives next to him. And then we get to meet Mark for the very first time as they're talking over dinner. And they have the safety bar chat. You haven't eaten much. What? You're not feeling well? There was an accident today, the worst one I've ever seen. Let's see. So, uh, how long is it now you've been chasing corpses? Fourteen years. Oh, man, fourteen years. <laughs> you know you need to spend some more time with the living. <laughs> Jesus, you sound just like Sandy. Sandra really loved you. Whatever. I, I just... Uh, I just gotta hang in there and get my 20 years in so I can retire and get the fuck out of this town before I turn completely numb. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Johnny, you really do need to get a life. 
I got a life. What I need is a beer. Come over if you want. Don't suppose you know anything about industrial laundries. You know, I used to work in an industrial laundry when I was an undergraduate at Berkeley. Get out of here. I did, man. Really? Yeah, sure. Well, look, do you, do you know that um machine they call the speed ironer? Oh, man, yeah, it's called a mangle. The mangler. Mangle. That's the one. That's the one. It mangled a woman this morning uh, over at Mr. Gartley's Blue Ribbon Laundry. There was hardly anything left of her. No way, no way, man. That can't happen. You've got a safety bar. If someone's feeding the machine and get their hand underneath, the bar snaps up and turns the damn thing off. Right. Well, that's how I remember it. Yeah, it's got a safety bar, but it happened anyhow. Oh, God. Man, what a way to go. I hated that machine. Okay. This guy, it, it, he so sounds familiar. I just, I don't know why I can put it on there. And the way that he talked with Mark, you know, Mark is basically saying, hey, you need to get a life. And I totally agree with the whole thing of, hey, you know, you need to live with the living, not live with the dead and go searching for the dead, right? And, you know, it sounds like Mark, you know, knows that... <laughs> Johnny over here has like a secret basement layer where he's like keeping somebody and he puts his penis between his legs and he starts talking about how he fuck himself and that he's got these ladies down there that he wants to put lotion on their skin. Wait a second. That, that sounds really familiar. It sounds like another character I know about. Huh. No, nah, no, nah, it can't be anyway. So, you know, he's kind of going through with Mark over here and he's just trying to get more information out of him. And Mark happens to be his brother-in-law, and you can tell that his wife has been deceased, Johnny's wife. And, you know, there's something there, but we don't know exactly what happened or what happened to her, right? I'm pretty sure later on in the movie we're going to learn what actually happened to her, or we're going to find out that, you know, that was the person that was kept in his underground lair while he held his dog over the pit, and then the dog fell down into the pit, and the girl tried to, you know coerce the guy to get her out of there or else she'd kill his fucking dog man this really does sound familiar and it i'm pretty sure that no no okay well one of these times i'll figure out who this fucking guy is and what characters he fucking played before but nonetheless you know he goes out on a walk and then that's what he's like unless you worked in one of those industrial things and he's like oh well i was at berkeley Come on, nobody who fucking studied at Berkeley talks like that. They're fucking bunch of arrogant assholes. Well, not all of them, but a majority of them fucking are. I've known a lot of people who have gone to Berkeley, and they're pretty fucking arrogant assholes. But nonetheless, uh, you know, of course, they could talk like Mark, too. It could be very fucking hippie-ish, and I think that's what they're fucking going for with this character. And, like, of course he'd go to Berkeley because he believes in being clean, though he serves one of the fattiest fucking steaks I've ever fucking seen. Like, I wouldn't have eaten that shit either. Well, maybe I would have, because I really do like steak fat. Mmm, steak fat. Oh, so buttery. So fucking dissolve when it's so cooked so right, and it just touches your tongue and just dissolves, and it's like, oh, 
people. Mm, anyway, I'm getting myself fucking hungry here. And I've already had, like, dinner and lunch and everything like that. So why am I thinking about a nice fucking steak? Anyway, because you can't eat it, you know, it's just going to sit there and fucking waste away. And it was nice enough for Mark to make him the fucking steak. So I understand you saw Fresh Squeeze Mary and now you're just can't eat anymore. I totally get it. So when he's walking across the bridge and he mentions the laundry machine, he knew exactly what it was. And he called it the name of the movie, The Mangler, right? Oh, no, it's The Mangle because it mangles people, man. I mean, come on, man. Mangler, it's just giving it the verb version of the name. Let him fucking go with what he needs to do. So then there's a couple little scenes again. We see some flashbacks to Fresh Squeezed Mary getting fucking squeezed. And that's where, you know, Johnny just can't take it anymore. And he explains exactly, through a nice little yell, exactly what happened to her. Well, it is what it is, right? Johnny, don't. (laughs) I mean, you can't. A woman's dead, Mark. It folded her like a sheep. They carried her out in a basket. Whose ass is on the line? Nobody's ass is on the line. Gartley owns Judge Bishop. Judge Bishop owns the sheriff. I mean, it's all dirty. It's all dirty. Uh, yeah, but why are you fighting it, man? I mean, wake up. I've been in this town long enough to know that there's some strange shit going on. It's always been narrow-minded and corrupt. Hell, they used to burn witches just ten miles from here. It's this puritanical ethic is still hanging over. Look, don't start with the sprout breath political mystical bullshit, Mark. I'm not in the mood this evening, thank you. The woman's dead. And that machine is running right now. Right? Like nothing happened. Business as usual. Six miles from here. Six miles. Oh, now, what the hell are you supposed to do about it, huh? Have a beer, that's what yeah, I'll what? do. Yeah, what? You're going to take the sins of the world on your shoulders? It's your fault. Right. I mean, you have to live right. a little. You yeah. can't just take everything in. Yeah, you're right. You come on, just live a little. Right, Okay, that guy is going to end up inside of a hole inside of his house pretty soon. I mean, that's the only thing, logical thing. Uh, yeah, you're right. He's like, he sounds like he's drunk, but not even fucking drunk yet. He's saying that he wants a fucking beer and he hasn't even had one. And he's talking about, like, lotion and shit. Like, you gotta put it on the skin or else it gets the hose again. Like, oh, wait, he didn't say that. That was somebody else that said it. God, man. So close. I don't know who. Maybe he's gonna go flying down the street. No, no, that's another dude that happens to him. He's on fire. It's really fucking funny. And that's a whole nother thing. That's, that's from that movie Red Dragon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, okay. But why can't I put this somewhere? I feel like there should be somebody behind a cage or like a plexiglass wall talking about Chianti. I just can't put my fucking finger on it. What am I thinking of? Oh, it's driving me fucking crazy. Anyway, so we go back over to the laundry place, this blue ribbon laundry or blue mountain or blue fuckface fucking laundry place, whatever it is. And we see that the machine is up back and running. And then all of a sudden, middle of nowhere, it starts spewing out steam like crazy all over the girls. And Lin Su is one of the girls that almost gets caught in it, but she runs upstairs and she hides behind Gartley. And when she does that, he tells her to go back into his office while he looks down on the floor. And it looks like the one girl that says she felt uneasy around the machine, she gets the brunt of the steam. And so she's badly burned. 
and once again they call the fucking ambulance and they you know have another accident on their hands within like just a couple hours of the first one fucking happening back inside gartley's office we see the exchange between him and lin sue and what everybody kind of guessed was already happening uh, begins to happen once again between the two of them and we see where she fits in gartley's life Chaos abounds, my dear. You'd better get used to it. Like I told you, there's no free lunch. No sorry, Bob. Not in this lifetime. <laughs> Still, life must be better here than on the streets. Hmm? Here, the predators are few. Benefits so many. Hmm? Hmm? For I am a generous man. I am a man of my word. Now then. Why don't you go in there and freshen up for your Uncle Billy? Go on now. Draw your back. Skedaddle. Okay. Shoo. Shoo. Shoo fly. Would you like to come in here and keep me company? Then Sue, then Sue, you sweet young woman. I'll tell you, the one thing worse than the devil within <laughs> is the devil without. So in this scene, I don't mind him so much. Like, I don't think that this is really overacted, but it comes back. Like I said, every now and then, it's like, it's okay. Here, I think it's actually relatively well done. I think his acting, it fits this scene perfectly. Basically, what you're getting out of this is that he helped her off the street, but you know what? It comes with a price, and it comes with pleasing the old man and doing what he asks you to do. And even though she's got a tear rolling down her eye, he's like, look, I'm keeping my end of the bargain if you keep your end of the bargain. But we don't know what the other end of that bargain is. Just keeping a, you know, a roof over her head. You know, making sure that she doesn't go without, that she has a job, that he works her to the fucking bone, and then he gets to fucking watch her and fucking fuck her whenever he wants to. Like, it's kind of a bad deal. But we learned that there's actually a little more of a deal that he does give her, which, you know, we'll see how that ends up. And then I'm sorry a little about the audio. There are a couple times where I kind of shorten things around, so... I just didn't want to have you have to listen to a minute of him just fucking walking around in his fucking crutches as he walked slowly over to the bathroom and then took off his little, you know, I don't know. They're crutches, I guess you could say they are, but they're kind of like those several policy 
ones that some people wear, like to help them walk around. I know they're crutches, but I think they have a special name. I just can't remember the fucking name of what they are. But anyway, he takes those off. He puts them inside like it's umbrella holder or whatever it is. And then he like hikes up his pants. It's just weird. And he like, it's so fucking stupid. Like he grabs his waist and that's how he's able to walk forward without having to wear those things. And doesn't make any fucking sense, but he does that anyway. And I didn't want to have you guys have to listen to that whole segment. So it's cut a little weird. Uh, it, it works for what it is. And like I said, there are a couple other later where it takes out some of the silence of the things, but it might have clipped the audio just a little weird for the whole scene. But instead of it being really long, it's relatively shorter. So, hey, it's a benefit for you guys and for me as well. So, so after we get this little scene between Gartley and his new... Uh, it's weird. He says uncle. Treats her like a niece. Ugh. But his niece is like 15. And I don't know if I really need to imagine that with fucking... Ugh. No. Okay, that's a little bit too much. I won't put that in your guys' heads, even though I've done it already. But nonetheless, so we go over to the hospital because we see that Johnny, he's been called. And he has to go and deal with the situation with this burn victim because there was another accident up there. And this time, Mark wants to go with him because he wants to help in some way, shape, or form. It's really kind of odd. It makes sense later. If what happens later is what ends up happening here. But he's just like... You know what? Fuck it. I'll just go along with you. Don't worry about anything else. I want to give you some fucking support. And that's basically the only reason that he goes to the hospital. But why Johnny would bring Mark in the room with him, I don't fucking know. Because really, he should stay downstairs because he has no business. He's not a police fucking officer. And he shouldn't be in there. But he does tend to the burn victim. Well, he asks the burn victim questions. Not like he tends to her. And that's where we realize that this was the friend of Sherry. And she explains a little bit more of what happened after she gets a little attention from the doctor. What do you want? Uh, I'm Officer Hunt and I'm here to ask Annette about the accident. I don't think she's up to it. I don't think I want a second opinion. Annette, what happened? We was running sheets. And the ironer just... Blew up. Mr. Stanner said there must have been a surge from the boiler or something. I don't know. <laughs> Has anything like this ever happened before? It all started happening when Sherry cut her hand on one of the clamps. On the mangler? Yeah. Was there blood? What I mean, did she bleed on the mangler? There was blood everywhere. And then later... Mrs. Frawley. I think she's had enough. She needs some rest. Annette, thank you very much. Thank you. Come on. Sherry Olette. Mr. Gartley's niece. Just out of high school. Mr. Gartley watches her like a hawk. Has all her life. Won't let her have any boyfriends. We'll go on dates. You know, it's almost like that machine had tasted blood and found it liked it. <laughs> Don't women get funny ideas sometimes? Thank you very much, Annette. Mm. You'll be fine. Bye-bye. Thanks. 
Come on. Annette, I just want to ask. Come. Okay, so this is kind of an interesting scene in the way that it works, because we're learning a little bit more about the world. We're learning a little bit more about Gartley and the way that he keeps Sherry, and we've just learned that Sherry is 15 years old. And that basically Gartley watches her like a hawk, won't let her have any boyfriends or do anything outside of his care. So he makes her live kind of a sheltered life, even though he makes her also work in the fucking factory and works them all to fucking death. The fact also that, you know, even she notices that, hey, once she spilled her blood onto the mangler, it's like it got a taste for it and it just wants fucking more. Which... It's pretty obvious because it keeps fucking going after people as the movie moves along. It's also funny here that Mark wants to ask a question, but Johnny just kind of pulls him back and is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, again, he brought him along, but he didn't want him to, like, say anything or do anything. He just said, hey, go ahead and just shut the fuck up and let me do my job. (laughs) But you can come along. Which, again, I just don't understand why a cop would do that. Hey, let's bring along my friend for the fuck of it. Oh, okay. You can go ahead and bring him into the room. The doctor even there is like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, I'm a cop. But he doesn't ask Mark shit. Like, well, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, are you a cop too? And Mark could have been like, no, I'm just his brother-in-law. And then the doctor should have just said, get the fuck out of here because you don't need to be around this patient. And when he tries to kick him out, that's where we get to learn a little more about the story. It's just kind of funny, kind of interesting with what goes on here. And then we get the ride back home where, again, there's an unintentional joke that Johnny makes um, as he talks to Mark on the drive home. Safety inspector barely had time to check the machine. They railroaded that inquest through. Said everything's okay. Put those kids back to work and then kaboom! Three women burned. One kid's disfigured for life. Now that's against the law in my book. So what do you think? Mark? What? What's going on in that jelly roll head of yours? Oh, nothing. Great. That'd be a first. So it's at this point as they're driving back that I finally fucking figured out who the guy playing Johnny fucking is. And I'm pretty sure you guys have already guessed it because I've been dropping little hints, really fucking obvious hints throughout this whole episode. But this is the guy that played fucking Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. And I was like, what the fuck? And my wife was like, what the fuck? Because she thought that I meant Mark. And I was like, no. That's the guy, the guy that's driving the car. That's fucking Buffalo Bill. And she's like, yeah, of course. I knew that was fucking Buffalo Bill. Then I looked over her. Why didn't you tell me it was fucking Buffalo Bill much earlier on? I thought you knew. No, I didn't. I couldn't put the fucking name of the character to the person. I'm like, this guy looks so familiar. His voice is so familiar. But he's not doing the same type of role. So there we have it. Buffalo Bill is playing the hero in this fucking movie, and I can't wait till he does the scene where he tucks his penis behind his legs and looks at the mangler and says, You wanna fuck me? I'd fuck me. You wanna fuck me? 
So we'll see what happens and pray to God that that happens towards the end of the movie when maybe, you know, something special happens to the mangler. So we've got them driving home and then they see a neighbor of theirs and she's out with a flashlight and she's looking for somebody, but they don't know who the fuck it is. And we're going to learn about that a little later on in the movie as well. And they get home and Mark finally has his like little revelation of what he thinks is going on. And of course, he believes right away that the fucking thing is haunted, and of course, Johnny is a fucking skeptic about it. Come. Word. Fraser's Golden Bower. Check it out, you might learn something. Fraser's Golden Bower, the definitive work on magic and the occult. Check it out, check it out. Have you considered the possibility that the machine may, may be haunted? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, Mark, yes. That's the first thing that popped into my mind. No, play along with me. Maybe haunted's not a good word. Let's say possessed. Possessed? Yeah. Yeah, man, possessed. Possessed? Yeah, possessed. Right by the parrot demon, right? Okay, okay. I'll tell you what we're going to do, Mark. We're going to grab that bad boy by the throat, shove a couple cloves of garlic up his butt, and that'll be the end of it, right? Man, this stuff's for real. I'm serious <laughs> about this. I mean, check it out. This stuff is for real. Look, if you just look in here, I mean, I mean, everything is pointing in the... Mark, check it out. First there is God, then there's country, and then there's the law. All right? The rest is bullshit. Okay. This is bullshit, Mark. Reality? Bullshit. Bullshit. Reality. This is bullshit. I wonder if it's bullshit or not. Because he seems to keep going back and forth of whether or not that's bullshit or reality. I, I do like that line that he does say in there where there are three basically natural things. There's the law, religion, and reality, right? Or reality, religion, and the law is the number three thing. And this is reality. That's bullshit. But yet, things have been happening outside of reality this whole fucking movie. And I'm pretty sure at some point he's going to learn that what he's thinking is actually bullshit. So, you know, that's the way these movies tend to go. And isn't it weird, too, that Mark is just, like, all of a sudden in the middle of nowhere? Oh, I know this is something that's, you know, based in, like myth or legend or whatever the fuck it is in fucking magic like right away he's already thinking in the back of his head hey guess what there's something weird going on here and she's saying it's like he tasted blood and he want to ask that one other fucking question but he wasn't able to answer that fucking or ask that fucking question and get a fucking answer because johnny pulled him away as he fucking should have because there's no reason why mark should have been in there in the fucking first place so from here, we go back over to the factory or the laundromat or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And we see that, you know, something is happening right away to Lin Su. And she's basically got her hand caught inside the mangler. We see that George is there right away trying to help her get out of it. And eventually he does get her out of there, but she's had some damage to her hand. And after she has that, he's like, we have to take her to a doctor and Gartley looks down at them and says, no, bring her up to me. And he's like, what? He's like, bring her up to me. And so he does. 
we go back over and we see that Mark and Johnny are still talking about, you know, the whole paranormal type of shit that Johnny doesn't fucking believe in. But Mark tries to convince him because he really does think there's something sinister going on with the Mangler. All spells can be reduced to simple common denominators. European spells mention the hand of glory. And that, that's real trouble. Look, spells need a catalyst, either herbal or human or both. The answer is in that book. Just go for it. Uh-huh. Carry on. Come on, come on. Read on, man. Uh, Belladonna, Hand of Glory, Blood of a Virgin. Uh-huh. Now that's supernatural. Supernatural is a really misleading word, man. Witches, demons, spirits, all part of nature. Like, um, okay, well, a demon is a kind of energy, like uh, electricity or fire. Sometimes it gets out of control and people, people get hurt. Thought you might want something to eat. The most powerful spells always incorporate belladonna. What is belladonna? The hand of glory, a deadly nightshade. The plant. Yeah, yeah. And the most common ingredient in all these spells is uh, the blood of a virgin. (laughs) You must admit, the way Annette describes Sherry, she sounds the type. <laughs> oh come on, come on, go with the flow. Think of the possibilities. Could be fun, huh? Yeah. All right, hey Mark. Tell you what, I'll run right on over to Sherry Olet's house. Okay, knock on the door. Sherry, hi. Uh, my name is Officer John Hunton. I'm with the police department here, and I am investigating a laundry machine with a bad case of demon possession, and I need to uh, examine you to determine whether or not you're a virgin. All right? Mm-hmm. Huh? Mark, I could just see my report. They would tar and feather me and run me out of this town on a rail. You think so? That sounds like a whole lot of fun to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Why don't we just go over there and talk to her? Do it for me. Come on. Okay, so I really like Johnny's reaction to the whole thing. Because it seems like it would be the way that anybody should fucking react to what Mark is asking him to do. Basically, he's got this whole thing planned out. He thinks that there's, you know, he this demon or whatever had to have been summoned in some way, shape, or form. And there had to have been something to do with virgin blood that made this thing fucking react and, like, come to life. And what he wants to do is go over to Sherry's and ask her, Hey, are you a virgin? Like, would you really like to go over to somebody's house, a 15-year-old girl... Go over and ask her, hey, you know what? I need to know this because it's really fucking important. But are you a fucking virgin? And her reaction should be what Sherry's fucking reaction is going to be. Like, why would you even think that that would be okay? Just because you're thinking about demons and you think it would be fun. You would, it would be fun for you to go over to her house and say, hey, have you fucked anybody yet? You know, has anybody gotten deep in your fucking guts yet? Or is it just that, hey, you know what? You're totally, like, sheltered from the world and you haven't had sex with anybody yet, which is totally cool. And we mean vaginal sex, because if you have anal sex, you're still technically a virgin, so don't worry about that shit. 
And of course, what does he do? They decide that, hey, we are going to go over to fucking Sherry's. He's going to take him along because he, you know, Johnny really wants to know more and really wants to help her out. Like, that is his number one thing. Like, he honestly does care what's going on. He knows the town is fucking corrupted. And they basically are doing bullshit to even stop this place from fucking doing any type of business anymore. And it might be because it actually brings in business or money to the town. I don't fucking know. But... He has to go over there and bring Mark with him? Why would you do that? And I know he tells Mark, of course, don't say a thing. Don't ask any questions. Just leave that up to me. But you know what? Mark is a fucking idiot and he can't help himself from asking that fucking question. Now, Annette said that you cut your hand on a clamp. How did that happen? Getting out of the way of that icebox. These two guys lost control, I guess it... It hit the feed belt. On the mangler? Yeah. Then it bounced off and almost hit me. Did this icebox hit the safety bar? I think it did. There were bright sparks everywhere. What? Sparks like a wire had been cut? I saw a big flash like lightning or something. That's it then. There it is. She was like a mother to me. I tried to help her. I pulled as hard as I could, but I was too weak. It's okay. Hey, Sherry. Sherry. Sherry is a very brave young woman. Okay. Sherry, I just want to... Mark? The icebox hit the safety bar. That's it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. It was a short circuit. That's all there is to it. Let's go. Mark, Mark, are you a virgin? Excuse me? What is this? Just get out! Just get the hell out! Okay, Mark, you're a fucking idiot with this line of questioning. He told you to shut the fuck up, and then here comes the question. What? Just get the fuck out. Like, why are you asking her this question? She can see she's fucking upset because she lost somebody that she obviously really liked or loved. And she said she felt like she was a mother to her. And she's only got her fucking uncle who's a fucking perverted asshole. That is the one that's keeping everything together for her. And you have the audacity to ask that fucking question. And then this bitch can't even keep her story straight because it wasn't that the fact that the guys bumped into her that caused her to cut her hand. She cut her hand as she was trying to pull back on that fucking thing and the mangler probably sensed, I can't believe I'm fucking saying it this way, sensed that she was a fucking virgin and made her cut her hand so he can get some of that sweet, sweet fucking virgin blood and be brought to life with the spark that's going on. So we have some weird, bloodlusting, virgin-loving fucking Frankenstein of a machine that's going on that gets turned on by fucking virgin blood. Oh my god. This is the dumbest shit I've ever fucking talked about, man. It's so fucking ridiculous. Like, the the whole thing, the whole setup with the demon inside of the machine and it only eats virgins and she happens to be one because her 
you know, uncle's the one that's her conservator and is keeping her there and eventually is trying to feed her to the fucking machine. It's, it's all fucking ridiculous. And the only person that acts like a regular fucking person in this movie is funny enough, Johnny, our antacid popping motherfucker over here is the only one that's trying to keep a sane fucking head on his shoulders. He realizes that this place is bad, that they're just getting away with fucking murder, which they basically are, and that it needs to be shut down, and he really wants to figure it out. His brother-in-law, who happens to deal with a fucking occult for some fucking reason, is the only one that knows that it's been, you know, infected by a demon, or, I don't know if infected is necessarily the word that you want, possessed. That's a much better word, Brian. Use the word fucking possessed instead. Uh, but it's been possessed by a fucking demon. And then he has the audacity to start asking 15-year-old girls, Hey, have you fucked yet? Like, where are we in this fucking movie? It doesn't make any fucking sense to me. So, they continue on. And they go back home, and of course, Johnny scolds Mark, and it's like, why the fuck are you going to ask that? To which Johnny replies, I knew she was a fucking virgin, because the way that she reacted to my questions, she's a fucking virgin. And they're like, look, I don't need to know what this 15-year-old girl has done. I'm not that type of person, but I'm starting to worry about you, Mark, because I feel that you fucking are. So they end up going back to basically where they both live, because I guess he lives across the bridge from him. Uh, which I didn't even fucking talk about that before. Like, did he move back home? Did, you know, Johnny decide to come to this place? But Johnny's been here for a really long time because he's just trying to fucking retire like he's fucking Murtaugh over here. I've spent 20 years in the force and I've only got one year left and I need to make sure I get that pension and I can get the fuck out of here. I'm too old for this shit. I have the worst fucking Danny Glover impression that anybody has ever fucking done and I will never do that for you again. But maybe my Buffalo Bill, I'll do that for you a little later. So, <laughs> they go back, and the lady from earlier that was looking for her son, she's now crying hysterically. They're calling them over because, basically, their son got killed by the icebox. He crawled in there trying to hide, and then he suffocated inside. Then they see, like basically the person that she's like, I don't even know where that came from. I didn't ask for it to be delivered. Somebody did. So now the mangler is delivering its own pieces all over the fucking place with nobody fucking watching it. Basically just like, Hey, I need to be delivered here. He hands little small slips of paper to people just passes them out. And he's like, Hey, Hey, come here, come here. Now I know I'm this giant fucking machine too, right? But I'm also in this fucking icebox. And I need to be delivered a place where I can fucking grow. I need more demon followers. And I need to multiply out there. So can you take me in this icebox to this fucking location? They actually bought me and everything's going to be good, okay? Like, I don't know why the, the fucking demon has a fucking, like, almost Jersey stupid accent that I can barely fucking do as well, or maybe New Yorkish. I don't fucking know. I just went to the Robert England School of uh, Acting. Have you never heard of that place? Man, it's like one of the greatest things. You basically become one great horror icon, and every time you try to do another movie, everybody just thinks that you're fucking Freddy Krueger. That's it. That's the Robert England School of Acting. Hey, we're done. Course finished. Give me my fucking certificate. Now I'm going to become the next generation of Freddy Krueger. Except for this time, instead of having, you know, blades on my little, like, glove, I'm going to have spoons. And why spoons? Because they'll hurt more, you twit. So now they're looking at this icebox that's out there. 
And, of course, the lady that got it to, like I said, she's basically saying, I had nothing to do with this. I didn't kill that kid because I look Latino. Everybody else around here looks fucking white. And I don't want to be fucking blamed for this shit. And so they go inspect the icebox. And Mark notices that it's from the same place that has the laundromat. And there is a giant bloody handprint on the side of the box. So they open up inside because they see a bird go inside of it. And when they open it up, they see a bunch of other dead birds all inside the icebox. And when Mark tries to grab it out of there, instead of it letting him just take the bird out of there nicely, it tries to fucking eat his fucking arm and swallow him inside the thing. And that causes Johnny to go fucking crazy once he gets Mark's out, out of there. And he starts beating it with a fucking sledgehammer that he got out of the middle of fucking nowhere. Where, where did he get it from? Did he go to Sledgehammer City? Because, you know what? They got sledgehammers there, and nothing but sledgehammers. Man, second ad of the fucking show. So, <laughs> they go, he beats the shit out of it, and eventually he knocks the top out of it, which causes this giant whirlwind of a fucking spirit to spout out the fucking top of it, and then disappear. And that's when our photographer friend actually shows up and thanks Johnny for showing him his very first ghost. Nice work, Johnny. I always knew you had it in you. Where'd you learn to do magic tricks? That was the first ghost I have ever seen. Thank you, my boy. Just when you thought you'd seen it all, life bites you in the ass. <clears throat> See you later, Johnny. I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This fridge is clean. Yeah, basically beat the shit out of it and exercise the fucking demon out of it by bashing it with a sledgehammer because that's the way you fucking do things, right? I just... Okay, I'm still at a loss for words with this fucking movie. Like, that fucking happened. We fought a fucking demon fridge. And we won. Okay. Wonderful. Super. Wunderbar. It's great. I just... What what the fuck is this movie? What, What am I watching here? Like, what fever dream came up with this movie? How much fucking cocaine was up the nose of Stephen King when he came up with the story. And not just that, how much was up the nose of the screenplay writer of this fucking thing, because that was just a short fucking story about a laundry machine that eats people. It's like Deathbed, the bed that eats, except for this is the mangler. The mangle that mangles. (laughs) It's fucking stupid. But, nonetheless, so... He retires with his brother-in-law, and then that's when Mark basically tells him, Hey, you know what? You need to settle down, and we'll go ahead, and we need to start getting on this, because demons are fucking real. Do you know any priests? No, man, do you? No, I knew a rabbi one time. I think we're nuts. We are nuts. It's our pledge, Johnny. It's up to us. Why don't we just get some dynamite, blow the shit out of the pig? Brute force isn't the answer, man. I mean, 
A demon may be trapped in that piece of machinery. And there's a chance it could get out. They'd love to get out and love to kill. Oh, good, good. Virgin blood. That's the key. It's got to be. The trouble is, there's many different kinds of demons. I mean, I don't know what we're dealing with here. It could be in the cycle of Bubastes, Pam, Dionysus. Are you following me? No. I have to isolate the exact cause. We have to make sure that we use the right ritual because the rites of exorcism, I don't know if you understand, but the rites of exorcism, that's really heavy stuff. That's like controlled nuclear fission in a way. I mean, we make one mistake, that's it, we're dead, we're destroyed. I mean, if you ask me, this is just an act of random possession. Got to be. Hey, Mark, I gotta do some thinking. Oh, Johnny. Listen, man, don't worry, okay? I'm with you 100%, man, okay? All right, Mark, that's a relief, man. 100%. That's real reassuring. Okay, so why is it up to Mark, too? That doesn't make any sense to me. There's a lot of things that don't make sense to me in this movie, but they keep moving on and making more things that make no fucking sense, okay? Why is Mark even fucking involved? Because he kind of knows what's going on? Or is it just because he's really interested in the whole thing? Like, he's just, all of a sudden, you know, I've been to demons my whole life, and here's a real fucking demon, and I just want to fucking be there. Then he starts naming off things that aren't fucking demons. Pan? What the fuck? Do you know what pan? I was about to say fucking pawn, but you know what? That's fucking bread, and that's fucking delicious, and there's no way there's any demon pawn fucking out there. But pan? Really? He's just a trickster. He doesn't really do things like if you said Loki. Dionysus? We're bringing Greek gods into this fucking thing? Who knew that a Greek god was a fucking demon? Mark, I'm starting to believe that you're a bunch of bullshit just like fucking Johnny said a while ago. Except for I've actually seen fucking ghosts and demons in this fucking movie. And we've already seen the mangler kill at least one person and mangle somebody else. So we see that Mark is going off to go look into his books and that Johnny's possibly going to go inside of his house, but nope, he decides to get the fuck out of there because he wants to go to the morgue and see what's up with the dead old lady, right? And see if there's anything that could lead him to believe that the mangler really is a fucking demon. And he doesn't want Mark there, so he just fucking ditches him in the best way possible. Where he's like, I'm with you, man. We're totally going to do this together. Everything's going to be great. It's going to be a great bonding experience. Like, this is fucking What About Bob? And fucking Mark is Bill Murray. And then we have Johnny here as Richard Dreyfus, And he's just fucking leaving on the boat in the middle of the fucking lake to survive on his fucking own. Because he doesn't want to deal with his bullshit anymore. So he leaves him. And he goes over to the morgue. And he meets with a guy downstairs. And it's one of those scenes that's one of those typical... Oh, yeah, you work with dead people so they don't bother you. Here, you want something to eat? I'm going to eat my candy while you do this. I'm so sick and tired of that fucking trope. It's so fucking ridiculous. Okay, I get it. You work with fucking dead people. You can eat anything you fucking want while you do it. Ha, ha, ha. I laughed at it for the first time I saw it. I don't need to laugh at it the next 75 fucking times that I'm going to see it in any fucking movie that's out there where there's a fucking mortician or somebody working with fucking dead people. Why don't you go into the sixth sense, go see dead people with fucking Healy Joe Osmond and show him that it's okay to eat his fucking sucker while he's watching some dead girl barf in her fucking tent. Ugh. 
It's terrible, I tell you. It's fucking terrible. But nonetheless, Johnny ends up sitting into the room, and then he's... This is the scene where I was kind of like, I wasn't sure about the photographer guy, right? I really thought that he was a figment of his imagination, because when we went into this scene, right here, it really makes me believe that he's more talking to himself rather than talking to the cameraman guy. Because while he's sitting there, he gets interrupted, you know, after he's thinking, what the fuck am I doing? And they have an interesting conversation about, basically, their relationship. Jesus, I gotta get a life. Oh. Gotcha. Very funny. She looks pretty good. Don't you? Oh, yeah, she looks great. Johnny! Johnny! Do you want to come downstairs and finish off that gin game we started three years ago? I'm still going to drop with that old Irish whiskey. You know, I get the feeling you don't like me anymore. No. It's my job I don't like anymore. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to have to look at my ugly mugger out here much longer. Warren, don't tell me you're moving out of this hellhole. Or something like that. The doc says I'm going fast. Eaten up. Inside. I'm sorry to hear that. Ah, don't be. We all have to go sometime. Johnny, you and I, we share the same ghosts. To forgive is divine. Especially if you can forgive yourself. Oh, did you get pictures of that icebox? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm off down to the dark room now. What was that? What? That ghost? (laughs) We live in strange times, Johnny. Very strange times. I'll have the photos ready later. Tonight. Bye. I'll be waiting for you. You know I'm 50 points up on you in that game. I've got an ace up my sleeve. I'm dying to play. You know where to find me? You don't lose to no So, it's just kind of a weird kind of like... I don't want to say heartwarming scene between the two of them. But you know that they have some history that we're really not learning a lot about. And that, for some reason, there's a little bit of animosity between Johnny and him. Even though he's kind of like, well, I've been seeing this for a long time, but you have barely been here. Like, even in the beginning of the movie, when he took pictures of what happened to the poor old lady back there, you know, he's like, well, this isn't the first time. Basically, this isn't the first time I've seen this before. I've seen this plenty of times, so it doesn't make me sick. And you kind of think that, well, he's been taking pictures a lot of, you know, different things that have happened when there are accidents and such. But I think that it's kind of like foreshadowing basically say that, no, I've seen this accident multiple times. This has happened a lot, and I've been taking pictures about this for fucking ever. And Johnny's just not quite getting that at that time. Like, he really needs to start getting, or else he's going to basically end up probably in the machine himself. So what does Johnny decide to do after this? Why go after uh, Gartley, right? He's going to go find him, talk to him, and basically see what's going on in his place. 
So what's the first thing that he starts to look at? He starts to look at the mangler. And then he turns his back on the mangler, which is the wrong thing to do when you're dealing with a demon, because the demon is somehow going to get your fucking jacket and start pulling you into the machine. Like, again, this makes no fucking sense. Like, it can just do these things. It's there. It's enticing. It's like, yeah, hey, little jacket, come over here. I just want to... And then starts, like, sucking it in. And then the only way... It's so funny because when I look at it, it really looks like he should just take off the fucking jacket. But he loves the jacket so much that the only way that he's going to save the jacket... Uh, again... It's so fucking stupid. He's just gonna take his gun and he's gonna start shooting his jacket. He's gonna start making holes in the jacket, you know? Instead of, hey, guess what? I've got my arms in these sleeve holes here. Let me just pull them out. Maybe, and maybe it's being pulled and there's too much force. Okay, I'll give you that. Maybe that's what it is. But really, the only way, but when, again, when it's being pulled from behind him, just outstretch your arms what's the mangler going to do he's going to grab both of them he's going to be like haha you fell into my trap let me bring out my mandibles and grab wait i don't have anything to fucking grab you rather than just eat your fucking jacket so if you don't take it off that means i'll be able to get you i'm coming for you i'm gonna mangle you i'm gonna mangle you but no (laughs) he he doesn't he shoots the fucking jacket to the point that he can rip it and then he gets mad at george when he comes off he's like what the fuck are you doing He's like, I'm here. I want to talk to fucking Gartley. Well, Gartley ain't fucking here. That was your excuse the first fucking time. But I know that motherfucker's here. And so he goes upstairs and he busts into his office. And that's the first time that we have a face-to-face meeting between Johnny and Gartley. Get your hands off of me, you lying sack of shit. You want to go downtown? Boys! You want to go downtown? Boys! Boys! All right. Knock it off. Get out, George. I'll deal with you later. Come in, Mr. Hunton. I've been expecting you. So sorry I missed you earlier. George Stanner tells me you're quite the detective. A regular Sherlock Holmes of the dead. (laughs) Why don't you shut that thing down before somebody else gets hurt? What, am I going to have to shut you down? Do that if I were you. Bad career move. Are you threatening me? Is that a threat? Go on, threaten me. I'll shove them crutches up your moldy ass, you fucking clown. <laughs> I like that. Threaten? No. No, no, no. Threaten is far too uh, kind a word. This goddamn machine tried to kill me! Breaking and entering is a serious crime, officer! Perhaps I should have you arrested, huh? Yeah, okay, okay, hey, hey, have me arrested! Have me arrested! I'm gonna shut you down, you sick son of a bitch! I will not have you tamper with my affairs. I'll have you suspended. Hey, all your powerful friends and all your money don't mean shit to me, Gartley. (laughs) My power has nothing to do with money. Power is energy. Power is motivation. Power is what holds things together when they would rather fly apart. It's a complex world out there, sporty. 
Many things you do not understand. But understand this. There's a little bit of me in that machine, and a little bit of it, and me. We are the lifeblood of this town. Right, what are you talking about? We all have to make sacrifices. You're right. Everything has its price. Yes, it does. Well, do come again. This has been delightful. And uh, drive carefully. So there's a lot that's kind of going in the scene, and a lot of it really has to go around Gartley, and it's a lot of innuendo that's going on. Not any, not that type of innuendo, okay? Even though I'm pretty sure it's pretty sexy what he's doing in the background there, but. It's a lot of, like, trying to tell you what's going on and what's happened in the story so far without exactly telling you to your face, this is what he did, right? We're eventually going to learn that, but we hear things in that conversation like, you know, there's a part of me in the machine and a part of the machine in me. And the way that Johnny seems to be taking is like, first, that's something fucking weird. Second... Uh, maybe you work so hard to get this that you feel like a part of it. Like you work everybody so hard and you really put all of your blood into this thing because it really defines who you are, right? And that by converse, that you, that the machine is also def- defined by you, right? It's kind of an odd take on it and that's kind of what I believe. But there is the obvious answer that's going on with that which you're not seeing right now. You got a little bit when that whole Lin Su scene happened, when he was, like, seducing her, because he finally shows what's underneath the one, like, lens that he has on his face that it's, like, covered, right? He basically has a dead eye underneath there. It's almost like he has a glass eye or something like that. So he's missing a part of him. And then she's now missing a part of her as well because of the thing that happened with the mangler. And that's something that if you tied these two together, you would kind of understand what he fucking means. But for the time being, there isn't a whole lot other than, you know, maybe this is something a little outside of the range of the fucking obvious of the fact that he got mangled. And so part of the machine is with him and he's literally in part of the machine. Uh, from here, we see Johnny leave, and that's where George comes back up to the room, and he begins to speak with uh, Gartley, and he kind of believes that, you know what, it's really, <laughs> it's pretty obvious that we should shut down the machine, because, you know, it's just not, it's not working out for everybody. I mean, this whole thing of maiming and killing people, it's not really that good for business, but of course... Gartley, he really doesn't want to have any of it. That SOB. He thinks he's going to shut down our machine. <laughs> well, sir, I, I've been thinking maybe it, it should be shut down. Yeah. How long you worked here, George? Fifteen years. Fifteen years as well. You're... You're practically part of our little family then, aren't you? Hmm? I mean, soon you'll be uh, helping us run this town. 
I've known that machine since I was a little boy. My daddy bought it. Best business decision he ever made, I'll tell you. My God, Mr. Garvey, sir, that, that machine killed your daughter. Look what it's done to you. Sacrifices, George. We all have to make them. Hell, boy, you can say that machine out there made me what I am. Mr. Godley, if you're not going to deal with it, then maybe I should. Oh, don't be a fool, George. Don't throw away a bright future here. I'm worried. I'm worried. It's been troubling me. Well, George, that's all. No, I'm not necessarily the big fan of George here. I don't think the guy does necessarily the greatest job in the world. Like, he can't really show emotion. And even this scene, like, he obviously is trying to express that, you know, everything that's happening is totally wrong and he, this shit shouldn't be going on. And he thinks that maybe it's time to turn the machine off. And if he has to do it himself, he's going to do it himself. And Gartley, he's here and he's just like, you know what? Um... It's probably not the best idea. Like, you're basically family here. You've worked with us for so long. It's been 15 years. And, you know, um, I, you can go with your conscience, but something's going to fucking happen to you if you try to do it. It's really kind of like subtle and not subtle at the same time because you you have this... He's basically telling him to his face what's going to happen to him, right? Like, don't fuck with the machine or else you're going to get fucked with. But the guy's just like there. But he also is doing it in a way like he's like, well, let your conscience be your guide. Like he's fucking Jiminy Cricket here. This, again, is one of those scenes where I really like the way England does it. In the scene with him and Johnny, it's kind of okay, right? It's basically two guys trying to throw their dick around and show who has the bigger one. And honestly, Gartley has the bigger dick in that scene because he makes Johnny go away because he knows the town is basically backing him at the same time. So he's like, look, not only do I have this fucking 10-incher, but I've got four other here that I can bring to the table at any fucking time. And you know what? You want to see what I bring? And boom, there goes his fifth fucking dick that goes out on the fucking table. And Johnny's like... Well, fuck, I've only got, like, this 10-incher here. I've only got one. You've got five, man. I can't complete with that. You have the Hydra of fucking dicks. Each one has their own personality, and there's even the dumb one in the fucking corner that you can attach for later. Like, he's got... <laughs> oh, boy, he's got that real detachable penis there that he found out there on the mat that one time that he was walking around. So, we basically have... You know, Gartley trying again to get the upper hand on everything that's going on in the situation. And he's got that sly asshole look to his face of he knows that something is going to go down. As the foreman leaves the room, we see that Gartley goes back and he picks up his little phone. And he's got like almost one of those old school like switchboard type of things where he just plugs it into the one that he wants to call. And he gets his direct line to one of the dicks that he showed Johnny earlier in the film and calls the sheriff. And basically says that, hey, you need to take care of him. 
because he's going to start snooping around in this and maybe he's going to find out what's going on. So as we switch over to Johnny and Johnny's driving back, he's getting a call over the radio basically saying, hey, maybe you should take a break and you should totally drop this case. And he's like, no, like you guys are totally allowing him to do what he wants to do. And you guys are fucking corrupted. And I'm tired of this fucking bullshit. And I'm going to bring him fucking down to which he says, "Okay, you're fired and you can't get that pension anymore. He was so close. Only one more day to fucking retiring and now he can't get that fucking pension that he's worked 20 fucking years for no but he doesn't really give a fuck so we cut back over and we see that gartley is now talking to uh lynn sue and basically she's experiencing some changes and he's gonna go a little bit more about what his pact with the machine is because we already heard that he lost his daughter to the machine as well but now we're going to get a lot more backstory about gartley halloween strange i'm getting sick are you ready for bed no something i must show you come My baby daughter's death certificate. Her passport to hell. She was only 16. <laughs> well, survival of the fittest is the way of things. I mean, surely, my child, you must have noticed how Rikers Valley is so ideally perfect, huh? There's something I want to show you. Just a Okay, so there's a lot going on in this scene, and it makes a little more sense as we get into the movie, but I'm basically kind of going to explain things right now, and we'll learn once again when we get to the scene where the other, our heroes of the film, learn more of what's going on. So basically, this demon has been around for a while, and a bunch of people have made a pact with the demon for wealth and fortune. Right, And he's basically telling her, because she's making the same pact there, by losing a piece of herself inside the mangler, she gets some of the essence of the demon inside of her and is controlled by the demon having to do the demon's will. His payment was his daughter when she was 16. So he killed his daughter and basically threw her into the mangler as a virgin to satisfy that. But I guess the pact is not quite done, and this is not really explained very well if he paid it, or less this was like 
you know, his wife's payment? Or is this what he needs to get out of there to basically sacrifice Shirley to the Mangler? Now, there are multiple people that did this, and we're going to learn later exactly who these people are. But this is where I have my biggest gripe with this fucking movie. And if they basically sacrifice themselves for, like, parts of themselves and family members, people of their blood, uh, their virgin blood, for wealth and fortune... Why do the, does this machine have to exist? Like, I guess he's serving the Mangler. Maybe that's part of what it is. And then he gets all the money, but he basically has to be a slave driver and doesn't get to enjoy any fucking part of that. And then who are his customers? Like, it seems like they're just the people in town. It's just the hospital and the different places. And they're places that have asked for wealth and fortune. So basically, the wealth and fortune is only spreading between the specific people that work in this town. I'm sure he has other fucking businesses that are out there. But the Mangler is basically like, haha, you guys are going to be rich, but you're only going to be satisfying each other. You're going to pay this guy to do this, in turn going to pay this guy to do this, in turn going to pay this guy to do this, and then you're all going to be rich on each other's fucking money. That's it. That's the only plan I can come up with this whole thing. And the fact that the Mangler's a demon makes fucking sense that he would make a fucking pact like this. But nobody seems to give a shit because they think they have all this fucking money. Which they honestly don't. They just work for the fucking Mangler. That's it. It it just blows my mind that this is where we're going. And now it could be completely different, and I'm out of it. And he just got wealth and fortune, and now he has to do this. And the reason that he needs to sacrifice his niece is so that he can get to the point where he can be free of the mangler and do whatever the fuck he needs to do. And there you go. You're satisfied. I'm gone. I've got my money. And I'm going to live with my fucking little hottie Lin Sue over here, who's really not that much of a hottie, but I guess if you're going to, you know, be Robert England and as fucked up as he looks and want to have a bitch around with him, I guess she's the way to go. But it's just... Like, it, it, to me, it makes no sense. Like, the, the whole plan of everything and why they have to do this to get the money they have to when they live in such a small community that it's just like, okay, you're rich and famous and this is what drives the community is this fucking machine. But where's the money coming from and going to if you're making all this money and only servicing the fucking town? Maybe they go further. Maybe they go to Bangor and, they, you know, they hang out with Stephen King and like, hey... We'll do your laundry, but it's going to cost you $2.5 million every time we drive up here and get it. And he's like, hey, I just wrote a book about a killer fish that came out of a goat's asshole and it got picked up for $70.5 million. So I'm good. Keep coming up here and doing my fucking laundry. And, uh, yeah, he must have signed a pact with this demon, too. I don't know if Stephen King is missing any fucking limbs, but he might be missing a pinky toe. Or, you know what, you don't want to lose a pinky toe, right? You want to lose, like, one of the middle toes. Because if you do that, then at least you can balance okay on that foot. So, we go back over to Johnny. And, of course, he's pissed off because now he's lost his job. But he definitely wants to stop whatever is going on with Gartley and ruin his full fucking plans. And that's going to involve Mark. Because Mark has done a little bit more research and explains that, yeah, it's definitely Virgin's blood that is needed to do this. And Sherry, yeah, she's probably definitely a virgin. I've been studying, man. Virgin's blood. Definitely virgin's blood. has got to be. Now look. A little holy water. 
smidgen of Eucharist. That'll do it. Then we'll read some Leviticus to it. Strictly Christian white magic. Listen, I, I tell you the truth. I was really worried about that hand of glory. Belladonna. That's black juju. Strong magic. Hey, Mark. I look down this son of a bitch's throat. Holy water ain't gonna do it. Yeah, well, a demon conjured up in conjunction with a hand of glory can, uh, I mean, that could eat a stack of Bibles for breakfast. But we don't have to worry about that. Thank God. All right. Yeah, I hope you're right. I know I'm right. I don't. We gotta go talk to somebody. Come on. Hold up. Damn it, hold up. So they're going to go talk to the photographer guy because it sounds like he finally is remembering that he said, I've seen a lot of this and I've taken a lot of pictures of this stuff. So they're going to go that way. We go back over to the plant and we see that the foreman is trying to shut down the machine. So he gets his helper to go over there and actually shut down the power. And he starts to try to take part of some part of the mangler. And of course, the mangler does what manglers do and they fucking mangle. And he gets a hold of the foreman, and man, is it a bloody fucking scene. Do something! Do something! I'll do something! I'll dance, that's what I'll do! I'll do a little dance for you, Sherry! I need your help now! So, okay, it's, this scene is very bloody, but it's really just terrible. Just what, what goes on in this scene. First, you know, he's cleaning the thing, he gets his arm stuck, and then it gets pulled in, right? And it's getting mangled as shit, and yet it doesn't pull him in any further than his fucking shoulder. Leave some of his shoulder out. He's not really grabbing onto anything. He kind of is. So he's not being pulled in fully. But the mangler is really not doing a very good job of mangling this guy. He's basically just got him caught inside of his teeth and that's it. And then you have the terrible ADR for fucking Gartley up top. And it it doesn't sound that bad when you listen to it. I mean, it sounds bad. But it doesn't sound that bad when you listen to this but when you're watching it, it just does not fit. The voiceover does not fit what he's fucking doing. And I do like the fact that when he says, let me do a little dance for you, he just twirls in a fucking circle. Like, he, he just, like, limps with the crutches around in a circle. And it's fucking stupid and, and so ridiculously funny that I just absolutely love the way that it, it plays out there. 
and he's basically like, yep, you're getting what you deserve because I told you don't fuck with machine. You fucked with machine. And now what look what's fucking happened to you, huh? Man, you could have been one of us, but instead, you know what? You're getting mangled, bitch. And he looks over at Lin Su and is just like, okay, now you're going to have to be the one to help me. Because I think he was really planning on having George help him out, too. Because he's been his right-hand man for so fucking long. Then his friend comes over, and when his friend comes over, he's, like, got the axe ready to go, and he just can't do it. And he has fucking, like, three fucking stalls, as you heard there. I can't do it! Can't do it! No, sir, I can't do it! And it's like... Okay, but that's the only way to save his life. Cut off his fucking arm. And then when he cuts off his fucking arm, he just runs. He doesn't, like, try to grab him, try to, like, hold the wound, nothing. Just leaves him there on the fucking belt so that he just bleeds all of his blood, fucking shooting out the hole in his fucking arm into the mangler. Like, what? So you're going to do that, and then you're not going to fucking help him? Sherry calls for Bill to help, but Bill up there, her uncle... He won't do anything. He's just kind of laughing. He's just like, okay, come to me. Now it's time for you to get me. (laughs) And he's gone like full evil fucking retarded guy. I don't know. Like, it just... (laughs) Uh, it's, it's just dumb. Like, he, it's obviously that he's fucking evil, right? You knew that he was evil the whole fucking time, and then here you go, you have this little scene, and it's like, haha, Cherry finally realized that I am the evil one. Meh, I'm Skeletor. Um, it's just, it's terrible. I just, I hate the way the scene plays out, even though the gore is pretty good. So, she runs away, and we go back over and we see that uh, Johnny and uh, good old Mark, they've arrived at the apartment complex that the photographer man was at. And they come just in time to see him being rolled out by the medics uh, because he's fucking dying, man. Thanks for coming visiting me, Johnny. You made an old man very happy. <sighs> Downstairs in my office, present for you. You have to exercise your demon. Don't let it possess your soul. photographer guy you can go wherever you want it's just terrible his death is terrible like the whole thing is set up like i'm glad that you're here you managed to show up right when i was fucking dying and i left you a fucking gift down in the basement and i'm glad that i had enough time to tell you that i had this fucking gift and he just throws up blood at the camera it's just who thought that this was like okay i get I get it. I know who thought that this was a good idea to do for this scene. But it's just... It's so 
bad. It's just like, okay, it's cool. Couldn't you just gone to the hospital and then he was there? Like, you got a call? Niner, niner, uh, photographer guy is there. He's in the hospital. Maybe you should go down and see him. Over. I guess I should go down and see him in the hospital. That's the best thing to do. Come on, Mark. Maybe we can ask him if he's a virgin. And so, you know, then they go over to the hospital. Then everything was okay. And, you know, he gets his dying words there. It's just really weird. So they do go into the basement. And that's where, after looking through everything, we learn what happened to Johnny's wife, and basically there was a big car accident. It was Johnny that was driving the car, and he was the one that he blames himself for his wife dying. And of course it was the photographer guy that is the one that took the pictures of his wife during the accident. And that's probably where he said, you know, have I ever let you down? And he said yes. And maybe he needed to take pictures of his wife, and he never got copies of those pictures, because that would have been the last time that he saw his wife. I don't know, but it's weird because he's got the photos of everything that's happened so far. They're all up inside of his, you know, his dark room in the basement. And so it's kind of like, was that the present that he got? Like he has all the death pictures so that Johnny can look at it and better understand it. But no, it's Mark that finds exactly what it's supposed to be. And it's basically a nice little paper wrap present. And it tells the history that I kind of told you guys about before and what exactly happens uh, or what has happened with the town and the fact that they all have 16-year-old daughters that they sacrificed. Marianne Gartley, daughter of William Gartley, was killed at the Blue Ribbon Laundry yesterday when she apparently fell into the new speed ironer. She died on her birthday. She was 16 years old. There's Marianne. Sarah Crandall reported missing yesterday when she failed to show up at her 16th birthday party. That's Sarah. Suzanne Bishop, still missing. Suzanne Bishop, daughter of Judge Bishop, was reported missing yesterday. She was last seen at her 16th birthday party. Lois Hughes, Chatterton. These are all the rich people. The old money. The people that want nothing, need nothing more. Power. Power. What is this? Wait a minute. Everything has its price. The price of power. Gartley said something about it. No, Gartley said that we all have to make sacrifices. Human sacrifices. Sherry? Hi, Sherry. This is Officer Hutton. Mr. Statner's dead. I just went to see my uncle. Um, listen, Sherry. I want you to stay inside. I want you to stay in the house. Lock the door, stay in the house. You'll be safe as long as you stay in the house. What's going on? How old are you, Sherry? 16? Really? Okay. 
Stay inside. Do what I told you, okay? I'll explain everything when I get there. I'll be there as soon as I can. Okay? The mangler got the foreman. Today's her birthday. She's 16. It's her birthday. We're running out of time. Hey, it's her birthday. Who would have guessed that this is all fucking connected and that the old money is sacrificing their virgin family members? It's all daughters. I don't ever get why the whole thing with the virgin thing is daughters because I think it'd be much easier to find a virgin male than a virgin female, especially at the age of 16. I'm not saying that there's just a bunch of girls out there going hog wild and just fucking anybody that fucking moves at any fucking age when they can really start to go ahead and giving themselves to people or a lot, you know, basically saying, hey, let's have sex. But I think a lot more guys spend a lot of their life just trying to get with anybody or anything that at 16, you're still probably probably a virgin in most places you don't have to be just a magic the gathering player or a fucking video game guy or a D guy to be a fucking virgin some people are virgins until their mid-30s you know so why don't we stop sacrificing female virgins and just go after the men because there's plenty more but i guess maybe if you're trying to do like a deer thing and <laughs> this, this sounds really terrible to say but <laughs> you know, slow down the population growth of the virgin females. So you could just go ahead and start killing them. But honestly, I, I don't understand why it always has to be female virgins are the ones that are going to get the downside of being fucking killed and sacrificed to a demon. Like, are the demons that fucking sexist that they're just going to go and be like, I need virgin blood, but it has to be female. It can't just be random male air. It has to be fucking female. Or do they just live in a community where, you know, men just fuck fucking anything, so it doesn't matter, you know? They just stick their dick in a sheep, and all of a sudden, you're not a virgin anymore. So, of course, now that they figured everything out, and they know that Sherry, she's going to be in fucking danger, Johnny decides to, you know, call her up and figure out a way, or try to tell her exactly that she needs to stay home and be safe. And, of course... Staying home is the only place that she shouldn't be, especially when her uncle is the one that is trying to fucking kill her. Why wouldn't you tell her, you know what, you need to leave that place, you need to go, you know, to my house, here's my fucking address, just lock yourself up inside that place, and then we'll come get you and we'll make sure that you're fucking safe and we'll meet you there. Instead, you're going to go stay in your home where your uncle is going to go and try to kill you, and what is it that he does? Well, he has... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking about the scene. Um, <laughs> oh, well, he has something prepared for her, and Lin Su has something prepared for her, too. Happy birthday, my child. Surprised to see your Uncle Bill? What do you want? Why you, of course. Leave me alone. Aren't you going to blow out your candles? Come on. Go ahead, Sherry. Make a wish. I wish you were dead. <laughs> no doubt about it. Girls got true gartly spirit. <laughs> what a waste. But then, we all have to make sacrifices. <laughs> 
So out of the middle of nowhere, we have fucking Lin Su like she's out of Midwest Entertainment as the real Mangler, or she's fucking Hacksaw Jim Duggan coming out with a 2 by 4 Just fucking wails into fucking Sherry and knocks her the fuck out. Like, it's really fucking ridiculous. And the candles on the cake, it's like he put 16 candles on there, and maybe he's supposed to, like, say, you know what? You know what would be perfect? What did you wish for? I already got my wish. No. No, Uncle Gartley. No. And then we have to go into some weird type of thing where he's supposed to be sacrificing a virgin, but, you know, he just can't help himself. Or the fact that the fucking cake is just completely on fucking fire, like he's got 55 fucking candles on there, like he forgot, oh, it's my birthday, not her for fucking birthday. But... She backs up. I love that. He's like, well, make your wish. And she's like, I wish you were dead. And he just laughs at it. I love that fucking response that he has there. And then, like I said, she just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, she's coming with the chair! And just <laughs> fucking smacks the shit out of her. <sighs> and then gets on the floor and puts the like glove or fucking handkerchief full of chloroform on her and to knock her out and it's fucking ridiculous as well we cut back over and we see that they're well they're all going back to the factory right or to the laundry place because they're gonna feed poor sherry to the mangler and johnny and mark they have to go and stop it but of course on the way while they're driving there mark makes johnny pull over because he needs to make sure that he rehearses the things that he's going to say and wastes more of their time and honestly i don't know why the mangler didn't eat sherry already haven't got time mark i have to rehearse you haven't got time i have to rehearse all right fuck. okay i'm gonna read now, I might read from the Latin, I might read from the English, but I'm going to read anywhere. Okay, this, 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 my friend, is holy water. Holy water, okay. When I give you the signal, you take this and you sprinkle it on the machine and you say, in the name of the Father, the oh, Son, Father. and the Holy Ghost, get thee from this place I am clean. Okay, okay, okay. This is the host. The host, all right. You break the host, you put it on the machine. You repeat the incantation. Oh, now, hand the glory. No, we don't have to worry about that. Get in the car. Get in the, the goddamn car. car. Always do this to me. He basically is paying off the machine for everything that he's done. And for, he's, I guess, how many people did he have to fucking sacrifice to this thing to be payment in full? Like, he had that many 16-year-old virgins in his fucking family? Or was the fact that everybody was getting rich off of him, so he basically was kept sacrificing other people's daughters to get them, you know, 
more money, more power, and to keep the fucking mangler happy. I'm wondering if it's more a little bit of number two than anything else. I also like the fact that, you know, when he's telling Mark to hurry the fuck up and just get in the fucking car, Mark's like, you always do this to me. So every time that you guys decide to go out and try to fight a fucking demon and he's trying to practice on his, you know, his white magic, quote-unquote, that he just tells you to fucking go, like... Come on, why are you going to be bitter about something right now? Yeah, you need to practice, but you could fucking practice in the car all the way to fucking there. Especially when a girl's life is on the fucking line, and you don't know that she's fucking there. It takes also so much pomp and circumstance to get her into the fucking machine before the two fucking show up and thwart their fucking plan. So they do show up, they get her off the machine, there's a really hilarious fall that fucking Robert England does when he gets pushed back a little bit, he does like a Pratt falls, and then, you know, we have uh, Johnny just beating the crap out of him while he's on the ground. We also see that Lin Su is trying to fight Mark in getting Sherry back into the machine, and eventually, you know, while they're fighting, Mark throws her ass basically (laughs) it's almost like another wrestling move you know the one where they lift them up and they throw them over their back like not like i'm not talking like a uh like a hip toss or something like that but basically he lifts her up and he like throws her over and she falls in the mangler and then she gets fucking killed uh and completely crushed and is thrown out the end of the machine into another fucking you know garbage pail kid situation here uh, you have him, he says, well, now there's just no time, and you might as well, you know, get your revenge on me or whatever it is, and he punches him in the face, and that's when the mangler reaches out and basically grabs him and sets him on the folding machine, and we actually watch Gartley get fucking folded by the mangler in a truly great practical effect and gross fucking scene. It's fantastic, and... It's it may be a little silly too because it's like it folds him by section by section and then there's actually this little bit at the end where he gets his last words directly to Johnny. My God, what now? Cursed be thy name! Why, son of a! So now that Gartley's dead, Johnny runs to the front of the machine, and it honestly is a pretty terrible way to go. And the fact that he's like, my son, or my god, that now are my son, what the fuck am I talking about? See, I'm thinking about sacrificing sons too much more than daughters, that all of a sudden I'm fucking confused. But my god, that art in hell. Like, it's just fucking stupid. It's terrible lines of dialogue. It's not delivered very well, and it's just... A terrible way for that character to die but he's kind of a terrible character so i guess maybe it's the appropriate way for him to fucking die and so johnny goes back to the front and now joins in in the whole ritual that they're doing while they're reading the passes that he needs to read and then you know johnny is throwing like the holy water in there and then the little stick of chocolate and then he threw some gummy bears just to make sure that he felt better uh, you know, it was the sugar-free kind, and he threw in a whole bag so that fucking mangler, it's gonna start just shitting fucking rainbows out in a fucking second, because that's not what you want to eat. And so, 
everything finally just stops and they think that they've won and then you know they get some of that great antacids that he stole when he went into the morgue a while back ago too he went into her purse saw that she had more antacids this is the dead lady that died in the beginning that lost the antacids into the mangler in the first place and she had a whole nother thing of them and so he was taking more and we see that mark he's like i don't normally take drugs but uh uh-oh what is in those antacids Oh. oh man now i know where you get your flaky stomach from let me take one of those. I don't do drugs, man. Are you okay? But I need this. Really? <laughs> What's in this? I don't know. They're antacids. I got them from Mrs. Froley. Fella Donna? You got these from Mrs. Froley? The end of glory. Uh, I think we may be fucked. So, the antacids were made with deadly nightshade. Belladonna, the hand of glory. Oh, boy. So, basically, the machine has fully come to life as a demon being summoned with deadly nightshade, which means that what they did was fucking bullshit. And they don't really explain how so little antacids, or was she so fucking full of deadly nightshade because she kept taking these all the fucking time, that when her blood went in there, it was basically 70% fucking deadly nightshade, and then fucking 30% water? Like, is that what fucking happened? And it wasn't summoned at that point. And we know that Sherry, Sherry never took any fucking antacids, and it was her blood that brought the thing to fucking life in the first place because it was virgin fucking blood. I, I don't get it, but basically they're fucked and the thing comes alive. And so they run and escape out of the scene, and we actually see this thing, like, break free and start roaming around in some of the worst fucking CG I've ever seen. But then I remembered Lawnmower Man was around this time, and that was way fucking worse than what we're seeing on the screen right now, which is another movie that I want to do one of these days. Uh, but it just... It fucking chases them around. It corners them. It corners poor Mark. And Mark gets torn in half. And probably one of the best gory scenes that I've seen in this movie besides the folding of fucking Gartley. Uh, and it's terrible because all of a sudden you see the CGI thing come on top of him. And then it pulls him out and boom, he's fucking dead. Uh, and he's just spouting fucking blood everywhere. And it sucks because Mark really didn't deserve to die. But Mark decided that he wanted to be a part of this. So Mark gets what he wants. And that's fucking death from the fucking mangler. They basically start running away once again. You know, Johnny's trying to keep Sherry from going back to the mangler because she keeps saying that, no, it's my fault. He wants me. And if he takes me, this thing will end. And Johnny's like, no, we just need to escape. And that's going to be it. And so he tries dragging her down some stairs that are going down into something. I don't know what. But they're going down somewhere. For some reason, it's like going down to the sewer of the place or some shit. And or it's got like some weird catacombs underneath the fucking blue ribbon laundry place. And so she does break from Johnny's grip, goes back to the mangler, and the mangler does manage to like get her. But they're able to pull her free from the mangler. 
and they end up down into the sewers to where, and it's really, really crappy. They don't really escape it, per se, like they kind of do, but all it does is blow fire in the fucking hole. It doesn't, and then it sheds like part of itself that drop into the water, and then that's it. There's nothing. It does the one cool thing with Mark, but after that, there's nothing. That's the end of it. They survived. Don't know how, but they did. And so now that they've survived, he takes Sherry to the hospital, and when he tries to see her while he's there and make sure that she's okay, the doctor on staff that we saw earlier in the film tells him, no, you can't see her today, you're going to have to see her tomorrow, and then he waves goodbye to him, and we see that he's missing his ring finger. And now, when we look through that book, and where they were talking about everybody that had sacrificed the daughter... There was all these drawings of hands and pieces of their hand were missing. And it was like that was that part of them. And we also saw that, you know, Lin Su was missing that same finger. And she's now got a part of her inside the mangler. And she was being controlled by it. Uh, we see Johnny go head home and the mailman show up. And that's where we get the last letter. And this is where it explains that basically don't trust anybody that has any missing appendages because they're all under the influence of the mangler. Dearest Johnny, in this envelope you'll find vital information that may save your life. The old timers in Rikers Valley had a saying. Beware of people with missing parts. There's a piece of each of them in the demon, and a dose of the demon in each of them. Faithfully yours, J.J.J. Picture Man. It's funny because they even use Picture Man in his own sign-off. And it's weird that it changes from his voice over to Johnny's at the end. Like, you could have just left it there. But basically, that brings up kind of what's going to happen here at the end of the movie. And we see Johnny go back over to the factory because the factory's up and running. And he's bringing some flowers over there to Sherry, basically to see if she's okay. And to make sure that she, you know, and now that she's 16... That, you know, she lives a healthy life, I guess. But when he walks in, he sees that the mangler is there. And the mangler is running. And he looks over, and who does he see but Sherry, now running the factory. And she looks up at him and waves at him. Shows him that he's, she's missing a finger. He throws away the flowers, and then the movie ends. Never enough time around here. I'm not running a charity here, Herb. Tell them to get their lazy asses in gear. Sherry, you heard the boss. Keep moving.
So that is the Mangler. And it's funny because the guy that didn't really save the other foreman's life, George, um, he's now the new George for the whole place. And the fact that she's kind of walking around like her uncle used to and that the demon has fully possessed her after he's, you know, basically took it off a finger. And I really do like that there is kind of that secretiveness of this and that it's kind of like, oh, hey, you didn't notice this? What happened? Especially when she had her hand in the mangler and then you never saw that hand again until this moment in the film and it's like, okay, well, now she's completely possessed. But you can kind of get it. I mean, it's okay. And, and the movie itself, just it's just really dumb. That's my biggest problem with it. It has some very fun scenes. It has some interesting scenes. But in general, Johnny is just a boring fucking character. Like, he could have had a lot more depth and i don't think it's because of you know our actor playing him whose name fucking escapes me and i'm terribly sorry but we're just gonna call him buffalo bill for right now so buffalo bill's performance as johnny has some good moments in it and he plays the the character more like somebody that in that situation just wouldn't know what to fucking do but he knows that he needs to do something Mark, I feel like, is such a waste, because he's a good guy, he's a relatively decent character, he's well-acted, but at the same time, like, he doesn't need to die in my eyes. Like, the fact that he gets ripped in half, while it's kind of a cool, gory effect, does it really need to happen? No. Again, Robert England, he's either hit or miss. He either does really well in the scene or he's just terrible and it's laughable when he's in those scenes. And sometimes it's laughable and it's meant to be laughable and it's enjoyable when it's meant to be laughable like that. So it's kind of like I said, it's a hit or miss when you see him and everybody else in the movie is kind of a miss for me. You know, you had Annette when she was on the table. Like, I like the fact that when you first see her after she's been burned, she's like, get the fucking doctor over here. I want them drugs now. (laughs) You know, instead of it being like, oh, I'm just going to help. But then she gives away, like, all this information and it's really stupid. Like, okay, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, she keeps her there by herself. Oh, I'm all burned and I'm possibly dying, but I'm going to tell you about the sex life of my friend and how she's kept up in this house and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, really? And again, there's so many things that just don't make sense. doesn't make sense how they make fucking money. It'd be nice to know where the Mangler kind of came from. And yes, there are two other sequels. I didn't know that there was a third one and there's a third one. And I hear the second one, which I've never seen, is worse than this. And I bet you the last one, which is like Mangler Reborn. It looks like fucking Death Factory. Like fucking Ron Jeremy is supposed to be in this fucking movie holding up a wall somewhere or some shit like that. So it's just, it just looks bad. And I don't know why they thought that this was going to be such a great series to build it off of. Were they going to have something with Robert England coming back every single time? I don't know, but they tried, and it just didn't work out. You know, it could have been a better movie. I think it took itself too serious. I think that if it went the route that they did with Robert England in a couple of the scenes where it was a little funnier, then I feel like maybe they could have done a great, like, 
irreverent horror movie, you know, and, and they could have really gone more into the wackier sides. Why not just go full whacktastic with the fucking mangler? The fact that this is a laundry machine that eats people, they could have done something. I mean, the deathbed did a lot more with its bed that eats than this movie did, I feel, with the mangler, even though deathbed is boring as fuck. So, after as I rate the film... Uh, the gore in the film, it's a 4 out of 5. It's got some really great gore effects. What it, you see f- fucking, uh, you know, the old lady all folded up, it's disgusting. I took a still picture of it, it's fucking disgusting. Uh, it's hard to look at. Even when fucking Lin Su comes out, she looks terrible. The folding of fucking uh, Gartley, it's great. And it looks really fantastic and it's gory as hell. Guy gets his arm ripped off, poor George, you know, when, even when the old lady started going through and the blood was just going everywhere, Mark getting ripped in half at the end of the movie. So there's a lot of really great gore effects for this film, and that's probably the best thing that the movie has going for it. Uh, it's a three out of five on the crap factor. It's just overacting galore whenever they got a chance, especially Sherry, man. I, I hate to be like this with certain actresses, but She's just way over the top, and she definitely doesn't look fucking 15. She looks like she's fucking 35, running on 40. And you want me to believe that she's a 15-year-old girl that's going to be coming 16? Get the fuck out of here. Like I said, it jumps a little bit, and some scenes I feel like they're not necessarily important. Uh, The icebox scene is just to to help, you know... uh, Johnny believe that what is happening is actually real, that ghosts are a real thing, and believe what Mark is saying, but it's just so long that it takes away from what's going on. I wish he had found out in a different way, maybe in the way, like, when he almost got caught in the machine. Like, that could have been where he actually kind of started to believe in what was actually happening there, and then slowly figure things out. I I do like the scenes with the photographer guy, but I would have liked it if it wasn't literally he's there. Like, if it was more of a, hey, is he or isn't he? Like, is he a figment of his imagination? Because he feels that he's responsible for his wife's death, and he never got to see any pictures of her. Something like that. Maybe, or maybe the photographer got to, was sending him a ton of pictures, and they burned into his brain or something like that. I felt like that could have been done a little better. Uh, and the fun factor, it's like a 2 out of 5. Maybe even getting closer to a 3. Maybe I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5. Because it does have some fun scenes in it. And I laughed so hard with the fucking 2x4 when I saw it in the movie. And then the little dance that he did. And there's a couple of scenes where it's just like, okay, I get it. It's really, it's pretty funny even though it's so fucking terrible. You know, so overall, I'm going to give this two garbage pail kids out of five. Um, is it worth you watching? Uh, no, not really. I think that your mileage is going to vary when you watch this film. I know I say that a lot when it comes to bad ones, but it's just not fun enough to really enjoy the film. Like, I wish there were more ridiculous scenes in this film that they went over the top, but because they tried to play it so straight and then have these really weird performances in it, it just doesn't fit. So either try to play the thing all entirely straight or give it a little bit of fun. Like, the true, like, comedic moments of the film are just in the beginning. 
Like, that's really the only slapstick portion. And then from there, it's just all fucking serious. It's not, you know... You need a little humor, I feel, in these types of horror films. Especially Stephen King-based horror films. And you know what sucks? There isn't even a King cameo that I could find in this whole film. And maybe he's somewhere, but I really wish he had been in this film as well. So... That's it for this episode, and you're probably wondering what we're going to end this season on. So, you know what? I decided that next weekend, or not the next weekend, but the weekend that it's going to come out, it's my birthday. So, I'm going to do what I want. Like, that Well, that week's my birthday, basically. It's not a birthday week, but it's during that week. And then the following week is actually Phantom Dark Dave's birthday, uh, which is pretty fucking cool because we're very very close to each other but i decided to do a movie that i've been wanting to do so i'm going to keep going with the stephen king train and we're going to look at something from 2018 i believe um and that is my favorite king book series ever and i have not seen this movie yet i bought it in a five dollar bin at fucking walmart when i was there one of the times i was there and, uh, man, I cannot wait to see how they fuck this one up. For thousands of generations, the gunslingers were knights. Just want to protect us from the coming of the dark. These visions, as you call them. What do you see? I see a tower. A man in black. And the gunslinger. They're just strings. They're not real, Jake. There's another world out there. I know there is. Who are you? It's you. You're a gunslinger, right? There are no gunslingers. Not anymore. Why does the man in black want to destroy the tower? The tower protects both our worlds. If it falls, hell will be unleashed. He's like the devil, isn't he? No, he's worse. You can't stop what's coming. Death always wins. Your world might be gone, but mine isn't. You let that tower fall... Billions of people die. When I have guns and bullets in your world, you're gonna like Earth a lot. Alright, let's go. You clawing your way out of the darkness? Did you tell the kid whoever walks with you dies by my hand? I will kill him for both of us. I do not aim at my hand. His hand has forgotten the face of his father. I aim with my eye. I do not shoot with my hand. I shoot with my mind. Jake! I do not kill with my gun.
Now, this is going to be interesting for me because uh, it's it's a book series that I absolutely and characters that I absolutely love, and this is not really. It is and it isn't based on anything, right? It's weird because they call it the Dark Tower, um, but the Dark Tower is broken up into multiple different types of books. Uh, and I really love the first four. They're absolutely fantastic. And it really does feel like the last one's like he kind of rushed it, but it, it's still, you know, it, they're still pretty good books and showing how... The idea of the Dark Tower actually is what is the the center hold of all of his books and all of the different universes that they all take place in. It's like Pennywise ends up showing up in one of the books. I forget which, which one. Um, it's not Wolves of Caldera. I think it's the one that's after that or the second to the last book. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's just funny you know and the man in black really has a lot to do with what's going on and it turns out and it's difficult to say that you know if you haven't read the books the the movie is what happens after all the books are done because it kind of reboots and they were trying to bring this into a tv series that was going to explore that so like i while i really want to see the drawing of three which is by far my favorite hands down favorite fucking Stephen King book uh probably because I love Eddie so goddamn much um that and, and I remember reading that book and not putting it fucking down when I had it uh, the gunslinger I read just because I was like oh hey what's this and I was just kind of a young kid, wanted to read some Stephen King, and I had read Dragon Eyes, which has Roland in it, but it doesn't really have Roland in it. Um, but The Gunslinger, I went afterwards, and just, I finished it so quickly and was so, like, mesmerized by the end, and then I found out, oh, there's more? Um, and The Drawing of Three is just, oh, it's so good. It's It's so, 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 so good. Uh, and so we'll have to see what happens with this because I really don't know. I'm going into it blind. I've heard nothing but bad things about it. And I'm just trying to have a good time and not trying to nerd rage over the whole fucking thing. And I have to put myself in, and if you guys haven't seen it, it is available to stream out there right now. It's on things like Amazon Prime and iTunes and YouTube and Google Play, but it's also available through FX if you have the FX app or if you're able to, you know, watch it on your on-demand service uh, through FX. Um, there's a couple of different, you know, they have a couple of different options as well. Um, there's also Fubo TV, which it's included with a subscription. I have no idea what that is. And then Vudu, I think it's only available to rent. I don't think it's a free movie uh, that you can watch. Uh, but it is out there, you know, I managed to, like I said, snag it on DVD, so that's what I'm going to be watching on, and that's where I'll be getting all my audio from as well, so I'm hoping that, like I said, it's just a good time, it's the end of the season, so it's a great movie for me to end on, and it's more like a birthday present for me to see how shitty this movie actually is, and then of course, you'll have to stick around to the end, because there are a ton of bloopers uh, have got for the whole season that are going to be stuck on the end of that episode. So I hope that doesn't turn out to be an extra, extra, extra big episode. 
Uh, also, don't forget, we've been in the middle of recording Dave and I all for Zombie Ween that's going to be happening in October. So for October, you will have, again, four episodes. You'll get the one from me, uh, and then next week we have one from Dave. Once again, Podcast from Another World is back. So then you'll have this. You'll have another podcast from Another World, which is, I think, during Dave's birthday week. So he gets to have a birthday special on his. And then it'll be me with the new season starting after that. And then Dave. And then we're going to go into straight five weeks of uh, Dave and I talking about horror movies, talking about four Rob Zombie films. And then we've got a special film for the last one of the month, which isn't Rob Zombie. But you'll know about it if you listen to the last Rob Zombie movie that we do. So we hope you guys really do enjoy this. Um, and as always, don't forget to go out there, follow the SIP Network guys, SIPnet.us. Uh, that is the podcast from another world. It is from the waste. It is Dead Hen Radio. Angry Dad Podcast, new podcast added, added, so I married a Bigfoot. Um, There is going to be something special that's going to pop up on the network um, that uh, friends are doing, and it's a really great comeback for one guy who I had hoped would be back sooner to podcasting, but at least he's coming back. Uh, You got Five Faith from Fans, you got Paranormal Pativity, and you have this podcast, the Terrible Terror Podcast, and also the Back in Time Podcast, which, if you didn't check it out, I was on their episode for Batman Forever, so if you want a jumping point for them, go check that one out there. Um, And make sure that you check out all the podcasts on the SIP Network when you can, and I really, really wish and hope I did not forget any of the other podcasts that are on the network. Um... With all that being said, I guess you should also make sure that you go ahead and check out the podcast. Um, I put a couple things out there on YouTube. Uh, just search for the Terrible Terror Podcast. And I've got a couple other things that are going to be coming. Uh, I put out a Creep Show review where I talked about all the Creep Show movies that were out there. Not the movies, but the series. I talked about each of the episodes and ranked them uh, based on which little story I liked the best. Uh, and then I have some unboxing or unbagging videos that are coming out. One just came out. And I did one about Bones Coffee, who is hashtag not a sponsor, hashtag wish was a sponsor, hashtag should be a sponsor. Um, and uh, basically, I just want to do it for fun because I don't ever really talk about food or anything like that. But that pot, my podcast keeps getting like fucking, you know, because it deals with horror. For some reason, Bones Coffee is the one that I get a targeted ad for because I guess I like skeletons and I like coffee. And so I decided to give it a try because they had a bunch of K cups for very inexpensive that were all trial. And, uh, they were, you know, they've all been pretty good. I've been surprised. I think the video for that one is for the maple nut bacon or maple bacon, uh, which was good, but the strawberry cheesecake, I had that afterward, fucking delicious, so they're not a sponsor, I just think that that coffee is really fucking good, so you should try that coffee if you get a chance, uh, and again, if they would like to sponsor me, I'd love to be sponsored by you, uh, more than I would want to be sponsored by Manscaped, let's just say that, uh, also don't forget to check out the Instagram while I'm here, instagram.com slash terrible terror podcast, and then also make sure that you go out there, facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast, twitter, t underscore, t underscore podcast, and then the SIP network at network SIP. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure that you take care of yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time with the Dark Tower. <laughs>